This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. And we are live here on the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. I'm Rich Crange alongside, as always, the King of Banter, Mr. Joe Lanz. And Joe, before I get to you, of course, this episode is brought to you us by our friends at MyBookie. So presented by MyBookie. So thank them very much for that. We'll talk about them in a little bit, though. How's it going? It only, took, it only took you three weeks to screw that up. Yeah, I know that's that's it's it's tough because I, I have a, I have a set. I was pretty good the first few weeks, but like you know, I have a set little routine. I've been doing that routine for you know seven, eight, nine years at this point, and uh, they try to try to put themselves in there, and it's it's it worked for three weeks, but yeah, I, I fucked it up this time. But this episode is ah, presented by my bookie, so you know you know that yeah, you get it, you understand. It's winning season, so- yada yada. You you understand. You get so nervous, Craig. <laughs> it's all right. You messed it up. You, you made up for it. It's you know, you move on. Doesn't help that I needle you about it. Yeah, you're the you're the the the, the assholes chanting. You fucked up when I slip on the top rope or whatever. It's like you know, hey, look, you know. True. The only wrestling chant I disapprove of. That you fucked up. Yeah. It's the only one I don't like. The other ones, you paid your ticket. Say what you want. People get so bent out of shape with the chants. It's calm down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's the only one that really like. I know uh, when I explained that one to Michelle once, she's like, "Well, that's not very nice. That's very rude." And I was like, yeah, "I agree." Like, like she rude. loves that every other is. chant. Like, "Fuck that guy" is her favorite chant. Like when anybody says "fuck that guy" or "fuck the," yeah. you know, she loves that one. But yeah, you fucked up. She's like, "Well, that's not very nice." He's trying very hard. I'm like, "I know. You're right." Putting our lives on the line, right? You know? I'm I, su- we always say that. I'm surprised they don't fuck up more. Like we're gonna talk about yeah. this this Rev Pro. Uh, this Callum Newman and, and and Will Ospreay opening sequence that those guys had in that Rev Pro match, and I don't know how they didn't like fuck at least three moves up. I mean, they do seven moves in like eight seconds, and I I have no idea how they all work out as well as they do. It's it's amazing. Wrestling is fucking incredible. How there's not more fuck ups every These second. These people are all incredible at what they do. You know, and it's it's uh it's so the botches are so few and far between. At least the ones that are noticeable. You know, to the to the fans' eyes, you know, I'm sure there's wrestlers that are more difficult to work with than others. If if you are a wrestler, or maybe you have an eye for that kind of thing. But in terms of you know big time botches, they're so few and far between. Yeah, the you fucked up always bothered me, and I think I was in the building when that like came to be. Oh, were you there I for for the uh, for the famous uh... JT Smith falling on his head? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, that may have been where that emanated from. I don't think it ever. I think that's. The first ever at least where it gained like chance. steam amongst the whole crowd like there may have been one asshole screaming at you know for a few weeks or months prior but that was the one where everybody got in and was like yeah you know what <laughs> that guy did fuck up we're gonna chant that and i've heard many live you fucked up chants you know in the ensuing two years or whatever in that building and then you still hear it today occasionally not not that much but you still you still get one occasionally and it's just it's the one chant i can't get with it's like other chants i think are silly like 
you know, sometimes people will chant fight forever. And I'm like, this match isn't even that good. Calm <laughs> right, down. Right, yeah. or, or they'll chant. Uh, um, what's the other one people chant when it's really not always warranted? Uh, what that, that, you know, like, like that sometimes it, I don't agree with the chant, but it doesn't wind me up like the way it does other people. Like you'll go on Twitter and people are, Hey, fucking fans with their chants. He's NXT. Calm down. Their fans having fun. You buy a ticket, you go to a show, you have fun your way. You know, you're not interfering with anybody else's fun or, or being rude or disruptive. I, I've, I've never gotten wound up about any chant with the exception of you fucked up. Yeah, well, and also, I'm... someone in the, in the chat room does correctly point out, uh, you deserve it is one that you dislike as well. Oh, you, you have yeah. You have well, ranted about that one in the past. Which rightfully And rightfully, so, right. that one sucks. I have to be fair, I don't like that one either. <laughs> that it's one like, does stink, yeah. Because a lot of times that one is like, what are we doing? You know, why are we throwing roses at the fucking Miz for winning the Intercontinental? Nobody cares. You know, yeah, that one, I have to admit, that's the second one that does annoy me. Whoever pointed that out, good job out of you. Um, but, you know, look, I, I don't agree with most of these chants. I think they're silly, but they don't. what I'm saying is they don't wind me up. There's a lot of people that really angers them when fans chant things. Like, it ruins their experience, whether they're there live or they're watching on TV. I've never really understood that. One that always gets me, uh, and then we'll move on to some of our other topics. We've got a loaded show. There is a ton that we need to get to uh, today. But one that one that always gets me, and, and it didn't always get me, but then it got overused uh, tremendously, was the you still got it chant. Because then, yeah. like, a guy would come back, and he was, like, 35, and they're like, you still got it. I'm like, well, yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, they're trying to get to Road Dog in, like, 2009. And I'm like, well, the dude's, like, under 40. Like. Yeah. Like, of course he still has it. He's, like, in the prime of his career. Like, yeah. It'd be a bigger concern if he didn't have it. Right. It's just, yeah. like, so weird when, when I hear that shit. Like, I remember, uh, I think I remember the most famous, I want to say it, the one King of Trios that, like, you know, X-Pac was, like, one, two, three kid or whatever. I forgot who he teamed with. It was, like, him and, it was him and, like, Jinsuke Shinsaki and, and someone else. I forgot who it was. And, and I remember people chanting, you still got it, to like one, two, three kid. And he's like 37 at that time. I'm like, well, yeah. yeah. He just, he's been wrestling for 20 years. You know, he's he's fine. Like, he's, you know, like still riding the bike. Like <laughs> exactly. Riding he's like, I mean, he's still, he was still like an active wrestler. He just hadn't been in WWE for a few years. So um, that one, that one has gotten me a little bit uh, annoyed as of late. So this is awesome was the other one I was trying to think of where it's like, you know, Eight times out of ten, it's really not that awesome. You know, people just want to chant, this is awesome. But so what? It might be the only wrestling show that they go to all year. They want to chant, this is awesome, at Johnny Gargano. Let them. Don't know why it upsets me. Yeah, I, I appreciate noise when I'm at a wrestling show versus no noise when I'm at a wrestling show. because when Absolutely, that, That's always been my argument. I'd rather have bad chants than a crowd that's dead just sitting on its hands. Because at least there's some kind of atmosphere and there's something going on. All right, so let's get. I mean, we're we're going to lead off with this topic here, and then we got a ton to get to. As as you know, we've been tweeting out all day for people that, that to follow us at Voices Wrestling. We have an ungodly ridiculous show. We have all Japan Pro Wrestling. We're going to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling. We're going to talk about the G One Climax. We're going to talk Dragon Gate. We forgot to put it in the show notes, but we are going to talk a little bit of Dragon Gate. Mostly how we're going to talk about it next week, but we're going to talk a little bit about Dragon Gate uh, this week. United Wrestling Network, Rev Pro. Noah, like what? What other companies am I missing here? We've got like every company that that has performed in pro uh, Ring of Honor, of course. Ring of Honor are, are one of our main topics we're going to talk about this week. Like when we say, like we used to have these classic, like back in the day, like five, six years ago, these classic spray to all fields, voice wrestling flagships. This is one of those where it's like 
12 topics about 12 different promotions, and I cannot wait. I'm really excited about that. But before we do that, uh, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Uh, each year, from the moment that this show began, uh, we've talked Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. You were a voter many, many years ago. I jumped onto the, the, the bandwagon as well, jumped into the voting pool uh, about five years or so ago, and we've always made that a central point of, of this show, whether it be the flagship or now moving everything to Patreon in terms of the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame uh, audio. But uh, the ballots did start coming out uh, today. Uh, and so there's some interesting names and some interesting notes to, 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 to you know, to bring up here. But uh, initial thoughts before we kind of go through, you know, new additions to the ballot and, and kind of some over, uh, other stuff. Uh, what was your take when when that uh, Herbert S. Meltzer at Juno.com email came through the, uh, the inbox? Well, obviously, Roman Reigns is going to be the big one this year that people debate um, endlessly. That's going to be a big one. Um, he's not going to get in, and a lot of people are going to be upset about that. But um, you know, we'll talk about that in a little more detail in a minute. So that jumped out at me. Um, I also have a little bit of confusion. He, the fabulous ones are on the ballot for the first time, and I, I don't have a problem with the fabulous ones being on the ballot. They're they're an act that I will consider voting for. The problem is uh, Dave has always had the stance for his Hall of Fame that you can't go in twice. It's kind of pointless to go in twice, and has made that argument when people have suggested nominating some tag teams when the singles wrestlers are, are already in. But Stan Lane is already in as with the Midnight Express. So here we are with Stan Lane and Steve Kern <laughs> being on the ballot as the fabulous ones. So just a little bit of inconsistency there that I'm curious about, and I'm going to send him an email and try to get an explanation. And then um, a little confusion as well. There's a new person on the non-wrestler ballot and only I would get pedantic about this. <laughs> you got to know, though. It's important. It is important. Kevin Sullivan is on the non-wrestler ballot. Now, there's a 90% chance that's the pro wrestler from Boston, uh, I respect you, Booker Man, who became a booker, you know, in, in the 90s. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. Uh, you know. Uh, the Taskmaster, basically. Taskmaster. <laughs> like, it, it, and he's on as a non-wrestler because, obviously, he didn't have a Hall of Fame career as a wrestler, I think. Anyone would agree with that. But he became a booker, you know, and he was a booker during a very uh, successful period of WCW. And, you know, so him being on as a non-wrestler isn't completely absurd. The problem is there's three Kevin Sullivans in pro wrestling. There's the wrestler. There's the the author who writes a lot of the WWF books, but I really doubt that it's him. I I would be very surprised if it's him, yes. But then there's the production guy who has had a very long and successful career. He currently works for AEW, Mm -hmm. putting together their video packages. He left after a long stint with TNA slash Impact, where he did a great job. He he was with WWE many years ago. Doesn't he go all the way back to WCW? I think so. Yeah, yeah. No, he he's like an early W. I think he's like a early nineties WCW production guy. That yeah, it's he's been yeah he's been doing it for thirty plus years at this point, production wise. So it's not unreasonable that it's him. (laughs) Yeah, I see what you're saying. I would say that there's like a chance that that's meant to be that guy that someone asked for him because who would ask for Kevin Sullivan, the task. Yeah. Like who in 2020 was like, ah, you know what, what about the taskmaster? You know, I've, I've really studied Kevin Sullivan's booking (laughs) regime and and I feel like he needs to be on the ballot. Like, like it's probably him, but since there's three of these men with the same name in wrestling, um, I'd like some clarification there. I asked Meltzer on Twitter, but he gets added probably a million times a day. So he's got to answer. He's got to answer about the Montreal screw job a few times a day and argue with one follower yeah. weirdos. So I don't know if he'll get to yours right away, but, but outside of that, I mean, there is a ton 
of new names on the ballot. The Mexico ballot looks completely new because, look, finally a bunch of those Mexico candidates got in. A couple dropped off, so the Mexico ballot has this fresh coat of paint. Nobody can complain about the Mexico ballot anymore because that logjam has gone. A bunch of people got in last year, and uh, that looks uh, fresh and new. And it, it really looks like a fresh ballot for the first time in about five years because we had some people get in last year, and there are 20-plus new candidates. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Um, obviously, if we go over the whole ballot, it'll take up the whole three hours. So we'll focus on some of the new candidates and uh, and go from there. But last year, I mean, um, Death Missionaries, Ultimo Guerrero, Viano Three, and Dr. Wagner Jr. all got in. Finally, a lot of these Mexican candidates got in. And Volador Jr. dropped off with under 10%. So five off and a bunch of new people on in Mexico. And just to refresh everybody's memories, uh, Gato got in last year, Jim Crockett Sr., and uh, Bearcat Wright, those were the uh, the non-Mexican entrants. There were seven total. And uh, dropping off last year were Dick Slater, George Steele, Jose Lothario, Naoki Sugabayashi, and as I mentioned, Volador Jr. But um, we're going to go through the new candidates because I think that's what's interesting. And we'll probably do some other audio at some point, whether here or behind the paywall going over each category like we do every year yeah it's just and, it's gonna be tough this year and i kind of semi on-air production meeting but usually there's not a g1 fucking climax going on while we're talking this stuff so uh we'll figure it out because we've had a bunch of people asking because a bunch of people love it because like i said we do it every single year and, and we've moved it over to the patreon the last two years uh people have really enjoyed that because i think some people people that don't really care about it they can kind of avoid it and and, and they don't need to listen to it but the ones that are into it they lo- i mean we get rave reviews for those shows every single year so we're going to try to do everything we can but yeah obviously with with G1 and N1 and Champion Carnival and a bunch of other stuff going on it's going to be tight but we'll, we'll we'll do what we can to get those shows out there don't worry hey, look look it's a good topic and it brings up different and interesting conversations that we don't normally have so i like talking about There's it some of my favorite shows it. to do i love just we hit record and we basically say names we come up with you know we talk for two hours three hours about names and wrestling it's it's awesome it's just a great way to learn about the history of wrestling talk about the history of wrestling it's just yeah those are some of my favorite shows to do every year so we're not skipping them that is for sure and it doesn't have to necessarily as a listener be about the hall of fame yeah it's it just be a history, history lesson. lesson yeah exactly you know and it's it's you know uh so u.s canada bunch of new people on the ballot here uh brian pillman i can't believe he's never been on it but he has never been on the ballot um, I don't see him as a serious candidate at all. Now, he was someone who is uh, a very interesting person historically and obviously literally worked Eric Bischoff into a shoot to get out of his contract <laughs> yes. and then leverage that into a huge money deal with WWF. And who knows, if he doesn't flip that Humvee, maybe he becomes a money-drawing main event star. There was a very good chance of that. But that changed his career forever, and he was dead two years later. Um, I don't see him as a serious candidate. Quick thoughts on Pillman. Yeah, I, like I, I know he's probably on there because I, I think Dave alluded to it a, f- a few months ago or something, or maybe even a year ago, that uh, the the Pillman biography that just came out about a year or so ago, uh, he was thinking a lot of people would have read that, and so maybe they have different thoughts about Brian Pillman, or they want to think about Brian Pillman again, or consider his candidacy, but I'm right with you. I, I Not for a second do I think about Brian Pillman. There's, there's obviously the potential there. You think that, you know, you look at it and say, hey, if everything went right, yes, but not everything went right. Most went wrong, so uh, I would say, yeah, definitely a no vote for me on, on Brian Pillman. And I, I tend to think he'll probably fall off the ballot after one year um, as well. 
love watching Brian Pillman. That oh, early yeah. 90s stuff. And, oh, fly, and, fly in Brian. Yeah, I can't beat it, man. I love those. Some of the younger listeners who don't remember, he owned the wrestling world during that period where he was, you know, doing the, the uh, you know, where he was working Bischoff. And, uh, loose Cannon. Uh, yeah, the Loose Cannon era. You, you even mentioned cannon. it without even knowing earlier about the Booker Man, Kevin Sullivan thing. So Right, right. That and then popping up in ECW and then, I mean – you really it's hard to explain to people who weren't fans then or weren't old enough to to understand what was going on i mean this guy just owned like the insider wrestling world because you remember it was pre-internet too so it well very early internet i'll say that so he even showed up in like uh, a small georgia indie and cut a promo at one point i think it was peach state wrestling or something like that during that time period to advance that it's just it was just just read up on it. It's, you know, when I get to that at, with November to remember, I'm probably going to do a full episode or maybe even two episodes on loose cannon, Brian Pillman and really go super in depth. But, um, just an, an incredible story that just captured the attention and the imagination of every insider fan at the time. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, it confused even his coworkers, even his employers they had no idea what the hell was going on. What was real? What was fake? Like he, he worked the fans. He worked the boys. He worked management. He just, he was, he, he was playing chess. Everybody else was playing checkers basically at that there point. There were three people in on it. Brian Pillman, Kim Woods, and Dave Meltzer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. And even Meltzer at times didn't know what move Pillman was making. It's just Pillman. He advised him. You know, he'd ask Meltzer advice. So it's like he was working everyone else. It's just next level shit that a lot of other people have tried to copy since and no one has ever been able to replicate right. it. And he resulted in his, 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 the way he worked it to like a fucking million dollar contract. <laughs> with right. So like, yeah, it's incredible. People copy the wrong aspects of it. Right. They're trying to fool the wrestlers in the back or the fans, but they're not making any more money off of it. The, his entire end game was leveraging himself into a gigantic money deal and he succeeded. So, um, you know, he, 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 you know, we say worked into a shoot. He literally worked yes. Eric Bischoff into a shoot. He convinced, for people who don't know, he convinced Eric Bischoff to legitimately release him from his contract and convinced Bischoff that it would be a great way to work the locker room. And Bischoff fell for it. And then he was free to shop himself to both companies and then leverage a gigantic. It was just brilliant. The whole thing was brilliant. Um, Kamala, obviously, he's on there because he just passed away, and people are re-investigating his career. We just talked about Kamala. This is a guy who was a very underrated draw, a mega draw the first time he would come through a territory, but then it was diminishing returns from there. And eventually, with the bigger companies, he would end up being a comedy act by the end. You can only really draw money with him once. But as we also spoke about, probably a top five peak Hulk Hogan money drawing program in the eighties when he, when he, when he came in, when he came through WWF the first time and had that first big feud with Hogan, we did, de- we detailed it a few weeks ago when we did his obituary episode where he worked with Hulk Hogan, like for like a, what was it rich over a year? Like, yeah, Hulk- a year, almost a year plus actually. <laughs> it was like a year, year and four or five months or whatever. It was, it was wild. And in between that, he has, you know, Hogan goes to WrestleMania three and sell, you know, sells out the Pontiac Silverdome with Andre and then goes right back to facing Kamala immediately afterwards. It's like, damn, <laughs> Yeah, Kamala was Hogan's house show program before and after WrestleMania (laughs) 3 because it was drawing so well everywhere, and they just stuck with it. And then Kamala, he didn't even get on the WrestleMania 3 card. 
you know, I don't know if he happened to be hurt or whatnot, but he just he didn't even end up on that card. But he, you know, despite the fact he was drawing huge money with Hogan everywhere, what bad timing? Because that was the year they were going to do finally pull the trigger on the Andre match. Probably would have been Kamala at WrestleMania three. You know, it, it's crazy when you when you look and think about that. But he's not someone that on the surface I would vote for if I dig a little deeper. And he's an even better draw than I already think he is. Then maybe, obviously, a very memorable gimmick. And one that's been copied ad nauseum over the years, uh, both as a positive and a negative, I guess. Um, but yeah, on the surface, he, I don't think. Now, remember, for people who might be new listeners, I don't vote for anybody. I am a hard marker. <laughs> you stink. Yeah. I, I think you have to be a legitimate, like, a, you know, you, you got to be an icon for me to get into the Hall of Fame. I look, I'm a hard marker. You know, I want it to remain elite. So to me, that's not Kamala. Yeah, the, the way I look at Kamala, and I, I, I'm making fun of you, but I, I tend to agree as well. Like, there's there's something to be said for the draw. There's something to be said for you know him, but it's also you know he's against Hulk Hogan too. I'm not saying that like Hogan didn't have dud draws, but it's like you're against Hulk Hogan in 1987. Like you know, you know not draw, you know drawing well is is probably a prerequisite and something you just need a baseline do. Uh, just don't fail is basically what you need to do with with you know Hulk Hogan in 1987 or whatever. But to his credit, he didn't fail. They they did. It was a good program. It, it went many 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 months as we mentioned a year plus. Uh, the problem though with me and 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 Kamala and will always be the problem with me and Kamala is just that his in ring was just not very good. We talked about it you know in our obituary episode. He made the most out of of limited skills, but at the end of the day, they were limited skills. Like you you wash it down, you look at it at its core. Like he's a pretty terrible pro wrestler, and that you know. A terrible in-ring pro wrestler. I think, obviously, there's more multiple aspects to being a pro wrestler, and I think he, he was able to enhance some of the other parts of it. But, yeah, bell to bell, which is you know part of the criteria, he just – no, he's just not a very good worker. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. He's not he's not a slam dunk enough in, in the draw for me to say that I would, I would vote for him. So I, I'm not going to be voting for uh, one Kamala. So He was such a bad pro wrestler that that's how he ended up with the gimmick. Yes, right, right. Because they had to figure out – he you know, he went up to Memphis, and they just wanted to figure out – something to do with this guy because he was terrible so and he owned the gimmick and he just in terms of performing to a gimmick he's upper you know upper tier i mean there's very few historically so there's many ways to slice it but uh my first instinct is no kevin nash is back on the ballot he was on it way back in 1998 and promptly fell off with under 10 percent. i feel like he's been on before I, I i don't believe this it's I, am I Mandela affecting that? I feel like he's been on this ballot. Potentially, before, but... yeah. I don't know. I think the, the it may have been that Dave's weird about that too. There's some guys that just never go on, and like Dave doesn't know that they didn't go on until someone tells him the famous Jimmy Hart story, where it's like, "Hey, where's Jimmy Hart?" And he's like, "Oh, right, yeah, Jimmy Hart, of course." Like I, that had to have happened with Kamala, but uh, the source we have, like I, I I'll. I, I can tell you the person that we're looking at, you know, the spreadsheet that we're looking at, uh, if that person doesn't, if that person d- dives as deep into the old observers as you possibly can. So uh, I believe it. No, he doesn't job. Yeah, Just I believe. Detlef. Yeah, Detlef, who, who's in our, who's in our, uh, our, our discord and, and provides us many, many good stuff. Uh, old observers, old, old other stuff like that. But uh, yeah, he says no. So I, I, I totally trust him because. So let's talk about Nash and Hall then, because Hall is back on after 1998 too. But I could swear I've seen these names on the ballot before. Regardless, they're back on this year, but they're back on as singles wrestlers. I do feel like they'd have a slightly stronger case as a tag team, only because of the diff- you know they they came to WCW and changed the business. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And you cannot discount that. I'm not saying they they should go in as a tag team because 
they drew millions of dollars as a tag team and, and had all these, you, you know, you know, they, they look, uh, they, they weren't the fucking midnight express bell to bell, but as a unit, they changed the business as singles wrestlers. I think Scott Hall has zero case. I mean, like less than zero case. He was never even a top guy anywhere that he worked as a singles wrestler ever in his career. So, and, and he wasn't any kind of great worker. He was a good, competent worker. He wasn't a great worker and he was never a top guy. Nash was a top guy, but he was mostly a failure. Yeah, as a top an abject guy. failure as a top guy, for sure. So, especially, you know, the Diesel championship run, we all know that that was uh, not a business success at all. In fact, it was one of the worst uh, WWF championship runs of all time from a business aspect. WCW gets a little murkier, but um, I get the sense that their, you know, best cases together as part of the Outsiders they're not on the ballot together, and quite honestly, I don't think I'd vote for the outsiders either. Yeah, I, I'm probably a no vote on both those guys. I mean, your your yes vote has to be for the NWO, has to be for you know what they did there. I guess if you thought Razor Ramon or, or whatever was a, a, an un, unbelievably great worker during you know the, the three four years that he was in WWF, maybe that would be the vote for you. But like, I I don't see how you could seriously do that. And and I'm with you. Like, if if this was Kevin Nash, Scott Hall. As the NW, like whatever classification you want to use, that I would definitely think about. Okay, at, at its very core, they completely changed wrestling. Got WCW, which had never turned a profit forever, up to being the you know the top company in in the world. And obviously, there were some other things that happened, but they were kind of the catalyst. They lit the fuse. They kind of got it going. Uh, but individually, yeah, there's no way because you can poke holes in in, in Scott Hall's career, uh, the lack of longevity, the lack of you know I think a, a ton of truly truly great matches. As you said, never a top guy. And then Kevin Nash, like yeah, he was a top guy, but uh, an abject failure in WWF and WCW. You know his top stuff wasn't very good either when he was a star and and worse yet when he became the booker and got some power they basically siphoned you know every fan off the company uh pretty quickly and then you know Vince Russo came in and and, and knocked a few you know rungs off a few more million uh off until they were out of business but uh should not be understated how horrible Kevin Nash's run as as Booker was as well where you look at the year-to-year data the the month-to-month data like you know by by the summer and the spring of 1999 he had just like decimated that company uh, in a lot of ways, you know, with, with some pretty terrible booking. So, yeah, Kevin Nash, easy no vote for me. Scott Hall, an easy no vote for me. Uh, together, I'd at least consider it, but I'd also probably say no, too. So, I'd put the NWO in as a unit. Maybe that original grouping right, of right. those two yeah. plus Hogan. Um, you know, I'd vote that yes in a second. But, you know, I, it's just not the way this Hall of Fame is structured. Maybe with the fabulous ones going on this year, that changes. I don't know. Uh, Kevin Von Erich is an easy no for yeah, me. Come on. <laughs> it's kind it's kind of similar. I mean, if you want to put them on as a package, you know, if you want to put the three primary brothers on, you know, Kevin, Kerry, and David, I think that's a better argument than any of them by themselves. David died when he was 24 or 25 or something like that. And just doesn't have the longevity. Never got the, the he was going to be NWA world champion. Okay. But he died. So he never got his big run and just, you know, didn't have any longevity. Kerry has the best case of the three, but um, I don't see Kerry Von Erich uh, as a Hall of Famer. So there's no way I can see Kevin as a Hall of Famer. He just didn't – he wasn't as a big a star on his own as the other two, even though he's my personal favorite bell to bell. Now, the guys he worked with would disagree because he worked stiff and just beat the shit out of everybody because his father was the promoter and he wasn't going to get in any trouble. So he'd get in the ring and just fucking stiff everyone. But that's why his shit looks so good. To me, as a as a fan, but um, but no, I Kevin Von Erich is a no vote for me. 
Yeah, I, I can't see a case really being made for Kevin Von Erich on, on any level whatsoever. Like you said, it, it if it was the Von Erichs or you know a collection of, of, of Von Erichs, then yeah, of course uh, you'd make a vote for those guys. But yeah, on his own, Kevin Von Erich, it, it's pretty tough to uh, to come up with a case other than like good Hawaii photos, good <laughs> photos of his house is about uh, the only Kevin Von Erich uh, take I could. I am so envious of that man's life. I mean, he just he lives in paradise. And just doesn't own out shoes. Yeah, doesn't own shoes. He just walks out to his like creek where there's just like fresh fish, and he's like, oh, caught this today at the creek." <laughs> like, fuck you. <laughs> like, all kinds of crabs, fish, fucking grows his own fucking uh, shit. He just also he he literally does not wear shoes unless he boards an airplane. Yeah, like he doesn't he doesn't own shoes. It's it's uh, some life that man. Leads. Yeah, well, well, given what happened um, in his life, I guess I don't know. Would I would I would I take what Kevin Von Erich went through? Uh, for what he it's has true. now, I don't know. I uh, nah, <laughs> consider it, but no, I, I think uh, I, mean, I think I'd probably prefer to not have all of my family die uh, tragically. But you know, tragically as well. <laughs> but, you know, which is why crabs he has do look good, though. Those are big crabs. I will say that. So. That's why he's got all the money. You know, it's it's none of there's nobody else left. Um, Rick and Scott Steiner is a tag team. They've been on multiple times over the years. Uh, somebody asked to, for them to be put back on. <laughs> Um, look, these guys are like patron saints of dumb jock wrestling. And for that, they have my eternal respect. You want to talk about guys just stiffing people in the ring. They make Kevin Von Erich, you know, look like he's working light. (laughs) I mean, they just went in there and Kevin Von Erich looked like Lance Storm. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. I mean, the Steiners would just legitimately beat people up because nobody could take them in a shoot. I mean, they were just the two toughest motherfuckers in the business. And they were going to work stiff. And if you didn't like it, what were you going to do about it? That was their attitude, you know? And um, as a result, their matches looked real fucking cool. I wasn't the one getting dropped on my head. So, um, but as a Hall of Fame tag team, I don't know. They were never headliners in the territory. They were tag team champions everywhere they went. Nice little upper mid-carders. But uh, I can't vote them for a pro wrestling Hall of Fame. I can't do it. Yeah, I want to. I really want to. Like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a little line next to them because I would like to try to convince myself to vote for the Steiners uh, as a Hall of Fame team. I, I, I want to, but it's a hard case to make. It's really tough to make. I've seen some people say that maybe you know Scott Steiner on his own. I don't know if that's true either. I, I, I don't know that like Scott Steiner on his own. Even though obviously there was some fun runs. You know, he, he, he um. You know he's main eventing WCW. He's got a little bit of runs in you know TNA and stuff. He's a he's a fun gifable uh, wrestler. He's kind of a, 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 a meme and that sort of stuff. But like otherwise, like as, as in terms of being a single star, I don't know if Scott Steiner really like has enough legs on his own. But uh, I do think the Steiner brothers, you know, as a combination, I don't want to say immediately no. I'm probably going to go no when it's all said and done. But I want to try to convince myself uh, that they deserve it. So I'm not immediately scratching them out, but. Um, probably going to be a no but I, but I want I want to convince myself of that right now right at at this very moment I cannot tell myself I'm definitively a no on the Steiner brothers so Scott Steiner's not a Hall of Fame no. pro wrestler. Come on. I mean, I, I, I see no argument for that. Yeah, he, but, he, um, he became a top star when nah, there was literally nobody left in WCW and nobody wanted to come to work anymore. And he did fine. He did pretty well in that role, but like there's that and then yeah, WWE was a fucking miserable failure. Partially yeah. because of WWE, you know, was. wanting him not to be Scott Steiner when they signed Scott Steiner. But, you know, still, he didn't really adapt to the, 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 that area very well. And then he goes to Impact or TNA or whatever, and he's fine, but he's he's kind of more of a meme and more of a joke than he is anything else. 
as, as a single That's star, it. So. He's very entertaining. He's very entertaining. And I've loved watching the guy over the years, but where was he ever a difference maker? The right. answer is never. Um, okay, so we'll bounce over to historical U.S. and go through some of these. It looks like uh, Bob Armstrong is back on. We obviously know why. I think that's a career that really needs to be investigated. I'm going to take a long, hard look yeah. at Bob Armstrong. He worked in a lot of places that didn't get a lot of hype. He worked in a lot of places that the that didn't covet magazine coverage at the time, so they didn't send pictures to the after mags and things like that because they just didn't care. You know, the Fullers didn't care about that kind of thing. They cared about making money in their territories. Uh, they didn't care about magazine covers or getting attention. So I think a lot of Bob Armstrong's career, because he didn't really veer away from those places in the South, he never really went to Jim Crockett for a run. He never came to WWF for a run. He never went out to California for a run. So because of that, because he worked mostly in these fuller territories and, and you know, Georgia before that and, and, and you know, when he, was a, when he was a younger wrestler, a good portion of his career is obscured in history and there's just not a lot of knowledge and there's not a lot of tape. And, you know, he's someone who, if you really study him, he might, it might come out that he was like, you know, this enormous baby face draw all this time. And, and, and maybe people don't appreciate it. So he's someone that I can't speak super intelligently on now, but he's someone who I'm going to investigate. Yeah, no, for sure. That, that, that's, that's one that, that, you know, when, when I look at the new historical ones, there's some guys that I have, like, no clue. And even if I try to learn about it, I don't know if I'd quite be able to appreciate. Uh, Bob Armstrong is somebody that's relatively newer that I, I think I can uh, at least try to take a look at. So he's definitely one that I circled. And I should note as well that, that you did skip over Roman Reigns on the new for U.S., but you probably should because we're going to do a separate episode about U.S. And, and Canada. And that Roman Reigns part will probably take about an hour. So uh, let's... Oh, I. That was accidental. I mean, I can give you my quick thought. I can give you Roman, my take on Roman Reigns in 20 seconds. Okay, let's let's do that because I, I think it's a little bit more nuanced and I think there will be some discussion about it, but, but for here, we'll do our quick takes on it. I cannot justify voting for someone who ultimately, when you think about his career, the biggest theme is failure. I mean, he's viewed as a failure. All of his singles pushes failed. You think about Roman Reigns' career, and it's not all of these great accomplishments. It's, oh, man, he never got over the hump. How can I vote for someone under when, when that is the theme of their career to this point? Plus, he's 35 years old, which is why he's on the ballot to begin with, and he has the whole second act of his career in front of him. What's the rush to even think about this guy? He's very similar to those Japanese, to those New Japan candidates from last year. Your Okada's, Naito's, Abushis, people like that. I'm not ready to vote for those guys yet. They have a half of their careers in front of them. If Roman Reigns retired today, he's not anything close to a Hall of Famer. But, you know, he has half his career left, and things could change. Right now, though, uh, you know, you think of Roman Reigns, you think of a guy that got booed out of buildings, never lived up to any of the pushes they gave him, and ultimately his career, at least by the criteria of the Hall of Fame, I'd like to have his bank account, is a failure. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way as well. Roman Reigns is in, and 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 I think you know when we do a, a breakout episode, I do want to talk about it a little bit more because we'll, we'll t we can kind of project a little bit and and and, and you know get in a little bit more nuance about his case. But like for me, it's like a no, absolutely a no go right now because it's like you know he's still got presumably all, you know fingers crossed health aside another 5, 10, 15 years ahead of him. I mean, he's barely scratched the surface of what he is, and and if you do take it for what it is so far over the last five years, as you said, he's he's been a failure <laughs> like you know his in-ring is is I, I i think he's a pretty solid enough wrestler but like as you said the overarching theme of his entire career 
has been failure, failure to, 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 to really become a top star, failure to break out to the mainstream, failure to, you know, be presented as the top guy in the, in the company. In, and well, I mean, being presented as the top guy in the company with failure to really make that so and make it obvious and make it, you know, where, where the fans accept him as a top guy for better, or for worse. And, and like, especially right now, voting for him for the Hall of Fame is like, dude, we have no, this heel run could absolutely transform his career and he's a no doubter in two years or whatever, you know? So it's just like right now it's, it's, it's definitely pretty weird. Uh, to even talk about him and, and, and even think about Roman Reigns' his entire career. So I, I'm an easy no vote right now. And that's not to say he never will be in, like like you said. It, it's He's talking a lot of his career le- in, in front of him, and, and you know he'll get back on the ballot at some point. Like Even if he falls off right now, there's no, no doubt that in 5, 10, 15 years he'll be back on this ballot again. So um, just wait on Roman Reigns is what I would say. But I, I, I have a little bit more arguments. I have more things that we can kind of talk about when we have, we have the time. So we'll do that yeah. in a breakout episode. So. He's the kind of guy where if you don't understand the criteria, you're probably like, what do you mean? He has to be a Hall of Oh, he's a kayfabe first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, main evented four WrestleManias or whatever the hell it is. He's won all these Royal Rumbles. He's a nine-time champion. Like, kayfabe Hall of Fame, no doubter. He'd get into the WWE Hall of Fame tomorrow if he retired. Like, if he he had to retire because of issues, they would say immediately Roman Reigns is going into the WWE Hall of Fame this year, right now. You know, it's no doubt he's a kayfabe Hall of Famer. But wrestling, is there a Hall of Famer? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think so. Rich, run me down on 1950s Hawaiian star Bobby Bruns. Oh, where do you want to start? <laughs> okay, so I don't think Rich or I are the people to go to for your Bobby Bruns hot takes. So I know who he is, and I'm vaguely aware of his career, but um, you know, I wasn't there in 1949 when he won the uh, <laughs> I wish. Hawaiian tag team titles. from uh, Yeah, so we're going to skip Bobby Bruns. Uh, Haystacks Calhoun, first time on the ballot. What most now listen, this is one of the most famous wrestlers ever. Yeah. You ask someone on the street to name ten pro wrestlers, even in twenty twenty, there's a good chance the name Haystacks Calhoun is coming up. Yeah, passes the, the mom test and the dad test for sure. My dad uh, I remember seeing a picture of him in a little magazine, a wrestling magazine. He goes, Oh, Haystacks Calhoun. I was like, What? How do you know who that is? He's like, Oh yeah, I used to watch him all the time. So yeah, he, he passes the, the, the casual fan test for sure. Yeah, he was five hundred pounds and dressed like a hillbilly and he had a gimmick. <laughs> And it was, you know, so he was an early gimmick wrestler and all that. But he's a guy where I'd have to talk to Matt Farmer and see if he ever actually drew any money. And if he did, I'd consider voting for him. An that's enormously it. famous pro wrestler, you know, and, and, and you know, that, that's a guy where, you know, I just don't know enough about was he just a traveling sideshow kind of guy who would come in and work third from the top against the local heel? Or was he a legitimate main event star in the places that he went? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, Jerry Briscoe is on the ballot uh, for the first time. Obviously, uh, uh, you know, Jack Briscoe gets all the accolades. Jerry getting on the ballot here. I don't see Jerry Briscoe as a Hall of Famer. Uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 has been on the ballot a thousand different times. He's back <laughs> he, on it again. He, he went away in 2018. And then now he died, so now he's back on again. It's like, Dave, I understand. I know why Dave puts guys that recently die back on. I understand. I, I, but yeah, I mean, come on, that's <laughs> not... the reason. But now here's the thing: he got a good chunk of votes before he. So I, I think, you know, getting him because of his death, it's gonna he'll probably be on it 15 more years and just hover around 45, yeah. you know, 50 percent. If he's gonna get in, it's got to be the year of death bump, though. That's that's when you got to make it happen. Uh, Miguel Perez Sr. on the ballot for the first time, also in this historical category. Ole Anderson is back. He's been on it before. Um, 
you might have more success with Ole as either as part of a tag team or as a non-wrestler, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, than as a singles wrestler. So that's why that one – I can't vote for him as a Hall of Famer as a singles wrestler. I can't do it. Um, and Ole Anderson's a guy who, uh, over the years, I've come to appreciate his work a lot more. I watch those old you know, uh, 80s Crockett tapes, and he's a standout. I mean, his shit is snug. It looks good. It feels real. He's an ass kicker. He's no nonsense. I love his style. But his best stuff is is probably as a tag team wrestler. And and I think, uh, you know, all those years working in front offices and whatnot, you know, I think as a singles wrestler might be the, the worst facet of his case. Pampiro Furpo, another guy who just passed away. So, um, you know, someone who obviously I'm aware of and, and know a little bit about his career, but uh, I, you know, I, I can't sit here and tell you the ins and outs of his uh, of his career uh, without studying it first. Yeah. We'll try to get someone who can, though. So we'll, we'll see what we can do there. We talked about the fabulous ones already. Some a team that I would definitely consider voting for. I mean, um, you know, they they have been copied forever. I mean, you know, they they set a template for that uh, kind of tag team. Uh, they weren't together a super long time, but hugely influential, obviously. Um, and a, and a team that, you know, if you're, there's not a lot of tag teams in the Hall of Fame. And I think they're on the short list of teams that, that you'd have to consider. I mean, you know, they legit worked on top, whereas a team like the Steiners never did. So, and then the masked interns with Dr. Ken Ramsey on the ballot for the first time too. Now, again, before my time, before Rich's time. Uh, and obviously it's another one of these acts that, you know, surely most of you have heard of, but maybe not know a ton about. So, I like that we're getting more tag teams on this thing. Uh, Black Gordman and Great Goliath, another t- uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, getting on it for the first, not the first time. They fell off quickly in 2014. So um, I, I had skipped over them. But I like seeing more tag teams because we've talked about this before. I think there's a dearth of tag teams in the Hall of Fame. And I don't know why that is. But it's good to see them because this will spark conversation about tag teams. And I think it'll get a few more in. As we uh, move along, but let's move through this um, quickly. Japan, there's some newcomers. Takaake Kadani is on the ballot for the first time, and I think he's got a shot at getting in. You know, with the way Gato got in last year, and Kadani gets a lot of the credit for helping turn New Japan around on this fantastic run that they're on. I think he's a viable candidate. So yeah, no, for sure, we'll, we'll definitely have some some good discussions about him, and I think we even had discussions about him last year, even though he wasn't on the ballot yet. Uh, we had some discussions about when he did get on the ballot, if if he was a guy that we would vote for. And, and I think we were kind of split on it, but I think we both kind of said that, yeah, we'll definitely definitely think about it because it uh, deserves a lot of credit. Like, you know, you know, there's a lot of guys that are getting credit for, for you know, New Japan's return, but uh, this is a company that was, like, literally at death's door many, many, many times, and, and, and he resurrected it to the point where, you know, they, they became a global, you know, the, the first real, I would say the first Japanese, you know, company I, I and, and maybe people could have some arguments here and there but to really break into the mainstream of america too where like you know people know like your casual fans know what new japan pro wrestling is not just your hardcore so that that, that that's definitely uh uh something yeah I, and whether he gets 100 percent credit for that most credit but he gets some credit for that for sure as, as kind of the businessman behind that so uh, he'll be a very very interesting one that that definitely i have a circle around uh right now to kind of uh, think about kayoko inoue which is a joshi wrestler second tier from the hot period of uh of, of joshi in uh, i guess the early 90s i want to say but someone who has never stopped wrestling um that doesn't mean much today with the state of joshi but she was around 
during the peak and definitely um yeah minimum one of those you know all the first tier joshi stars from that period they're in yeah and she's got a match uh, of the year as well a match of the year 1995 against minami toyota so uh that, yeah, this that's, is a, this is, that's an interesting one because yeah, you look at you look at past matches of the years. You look at we talked about it before. If you're a wrestler of the year, if you have a match of the year, like you kind of have to you know be in the running for sure. You can't immediately say no if that person participated in the best match in any given year. Like they they have to be in the mix for sure. You can't instantly hand wave this candidate, uh, especially if you've never heard of her. Obviously, she peaked thirty years ago, or uh, twenty five years ago. So you know, if you're younger, you might not know anything about her. But you cannot hand wave um, her as a candidate. And then Joe Higuchi is on the ballot for the first time. Um, obviously, goes back uh, many years. Uh, many people would probably recognize Joe Higuchi as a referee uh, for years and years and years. All Japan uh, front office uh, person. Yeah, I really have to investigate what some of his responsibilities were behind the scenes, and then. Uh, jump to Noah with everybody else and, and, and maybe some of our younger listeners uh, remember uh, him hanging around Noah shows more so than, you know, refereeing matches in eighties, all Japan, but um, you know, interesting person to have on the ballot for the first time there. But those are the three new candidates in Japan. Mexico is chock full of new candidates. Like we mentioned that rich and I know nothing about, I'll just run down the names. Uh, you could stop me, Rich, if you're an expert. Don't. Oh worry. yes, yeah. Well, I, I'm going to stop you on uh, yeah, one of these names when you come. I'll let you know when when, when I want to talk. So. Well, you know, I could give you a little bit of something on Jerry Estrada and Parita Morgan. I mean, because I've seen those guys wrestle a billion times. Um, but as far as Alberto Munoz and La Fiera, <laughs> uh, Rito Romero. And, uh, I was gonna I was gonna talk about Rito Romero, but uh, I guess you know. Yeah, we'll many wait. Go we'll as, wait. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, these are guys where you got to get the Cubs fan on. Or Matt Farmer, yeah, or something Ricardo. Like maybe we'll get Ricardo back on there. Ricardo, too, so, yeah. and because I learned a ton on those lucha shows that we that we've done uh, about people like this that I wouldn't be able to tell you the first thing about. I couldn't tell you anything about Alberto Munoz other than he's on this ballot today. I, I couldn't tell you the first thing. Um, and I saw people like Jerry Estrada at the tail end of their careers, where you know that's not really fair either. So. Um, we won't spend a ton of time on that. As far as the uh, world miscellaneous, Adrian Street on the ballot for the first time, probably because that doc came out on WWE Network. Uh, oh, so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And obviously a uh, hugely influential wrestler sort of setting the template for that kind of wrestling character, sort of the flamboyant, uh, the gay undertones and all that. Um, which, you know, we, we've seen characters like that, uh, you know, now look, Adrian Street wasn't the, you, you know, Gorgeous George, obviously, uh, you'd, you'd have to point to, but Adrian Street came along and was sort of a derivative of that and a little different, you know, um, like we talked about at the time, sort of a, uh, a flamboyant character where it was like, I'm still going to punch you in the face. If you think I'm some sort of sissy or something, that's where you're wrong. I'm tough as nails. It was kind of a different take on the character. Whereas Gorgeous George was more cowardly and those sorts of things. Um, but definitely hugely influential. And uh, never straight up presented as gay. It was more – he's always had Miss Linda. But the idea was I'm playing head games with you. Right. I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin. You're uncomfortable with me because you're, ho- you're a homophobe. 
See, that was the idea. Yeah, and I'm going to use that to my advantage. You're, you're freaked out because right. I'm wearing a boa and I got makeup on and all this sort of stuff. It's your fault because I'm out here. I'm going to beat your ass. So, like, that's right. your fault. Now, it's not that I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just being me. I'm, you're I'm the idiot. Being me. Yeah, yeah right. you could think you could. I don't care who you think I have sex with. You have the problem here. Right. Right. So and and, and he and, and he was his whole deal was that he was like super tough. Like he'd punch you in the mouth. So very interesting. And then Wayne Bridges. Uh, Rich, give us a little something on Wayne, Wayne Bridges. Br- oh, where do I even begin? You know what? Let's wait for the breakout show because we'll be here all day if I tell you all my Wayne Bridges uh, stories. So, Yeah. Um, I can tell you he uh, died on March 8th, 2020. He was known for wrestling, all-star wrestling in the 1980s. That's all. He's got a one yeah. line. He's got a one line uh, uh, Wikipedia, which does not bode well for uh, Wayne Bridges' uh, potential birth in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. So. Yeah. So, uh... That was Wayne Bridges. And you gotta oh, remember. He was half of the NWA Vancouver Canadian Tag Team Champions with Dan Kraft. So you got to remember too with Adrian Street. That was like the seventies and eighties, the late seventies, early eighties into the mid eighties, when the world wasn't quite as progressive as it is today. So yeah. Oh no, for a, sure. You know, so you know, it was a real heat seeker of a gimmick from that perspective too, preying on people's irrational fears and all that. So. Um, you know, it, it's not like, you know, it may not sound like sort of this risky, uh, you know, living on the edge sort of gimmick now, but then it, it was a whole different uh, ballgame. So, and then the non-wrestler category, uh, we already talked about, well, I guess Bobby Bruns is on here as a non-wrestler, not even for his wrestling career. So. I have to admit, I know nothing about. <laughs> well, that it. totally changes been, everything. Yes. Well, he must have been a promoter or something. Yeah, I. So I don't have to look in. I don't listen. You know, wrestling is vast. You know, you can't know about all of it. You know, and just admit when you don't know something. Um, Kevin Sullivan, who we talked about, if it is the one we think it is, I don't. I can't see him as a Hall of Famer as a non wrestler. And then two interesting ones that we can talk briefly about: Tony Schiavone. Mm-hmm. I lean no. I mean, I'm leaning no as well. Yeah, it's 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 a tough case to make for Shivani. Um, I've always liked his work, or most of the time I've liked his work. But there was periods too where he was pretty fucking terrible. Uh, there were periods where he clearly hated wrestling and wanted to leave and couldn't wait to get out. And I just don't know if like you know you talk about it and, and and we talk about this with any sort of announcer, ring announcer, you know th- this sort of stuff is like where are they above your kind of average you know where, where do they in your value over replacement announcer where does tony shivani land and i don't like i like tony shivani but i don't know that he's like you know head and shoulder he's not gordon soul you, you know what i mean like he's not this iconic figure uh in the world of announcing so i would probably vote no on, on tony shivani i guess i could listen to an argument but but i would think he's definitively a no so and then mike Tanay, which again i loved mike Tanay in wcw <laughs> As the information man. By the way, he can host a – Mike, if you're listening, you can host a podcast on this very network. Please. Please do that. He was totally miscast in TNA as a play-by-play man. I, you know, I, I, It's just stunning to me that they never brought in a real play-by-play man and put him in a more comfortable role. Um, you know, it is, as a historian and all that, you know, there's, there's a lot of layers there with Tanae, but I don't know. I can't. I can't vote for him for a Hall of Fame. Yeah, I wish I could. I really, really I, wish I could because I love Mike Tanay, one of my favorites of all time. The Impact run kind of stunk because it just, like you said, he was completely miscast. And the WCW stuff was really good, but it never felt like they fully used his abilities. If if he worked for a different company, a better company, his 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 knowledge would have been really used um, 
you know, I think a little bit more for a positive versus, you know, like Dusty Rhodes and Bobby Heenan just making fun of him the whole time. And, you know, because that's essentially what it, what it ended up being. And and I think he was really good at what he did, and I I, I enjoyed it, but uh, it's not enough to be a wrestling as a Hall of Fame. Again, like we talk about with Tony Schiavone, like the, the history of wrestling can be told without Mike Tanay, I don't think. And and, and that's it sucks because I really love Mike Tanay, and I wish I could vote for him, but, yeah, there's just no way that. You know, for a guy who was just a, a huge wrestling fan and a wrestling historian who wasn't a professional broadcaster or anything like that, who he really became a pretty decent play-by-play. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he was totally I mean, miscast, but he was, he was like, pretty damn good for, given on that, like, again, like, you know, value replacement announcer, he's not incredible, but, like, that's, like, you and me becoming, like, play-by-play guys. Like, I don't want to be a play-by-play guy. I don't think Mike today ever wanted to be a play-by-play guy. But he was damn, he was damn good at what he did, you know, all in all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so I got to give a lot of respect for that. I mean, the, his role in WCW was probably easy for him. They would just fire questions at him, like, you know, who's this guy in the mask? And he'd give a couple – I mean, that that's his wheelhouse. But to just become a play-by-play guy when you've never been a broadcaster, I mean, that's – at least to my knowledge, he was never a broadcaster, is is pretty admirable. But um, those are all the new candidates. And like we said, you probably hear a lot of Hall of Fame um, content in some form. You know, over the next, you know, the ballots, you got to submit by October 15th, but then they don't get announced forever. Like sometimes like January. Yeah. So, or even later. So there's plenty of time to talk about it and, uh, and we will do plenty of that, but we just wanted to go over some of the new candidates very quickly too. I wanted to mention who falls off if they don't get the requisite, uh, 50%. And that would be the perpetually on the bubble, June Akiyama and Don (laughs) Owen who Don Owen had 59% last year and was probably only a vote or two away. Jun Akiyama seems like he's been on the cut line for a half decade. I vote for both of those men. Um, Sergeant Slaughter is on the cut line this year. And a little more confusion once again, Rich. Kerry Von Erich is on the cut line. And I don't see him on the ballot itself. I could be wrong. Oh, Let me look again. Dave, no, I think you're Which right. tells me. Oh no, he is. He, he's there. He's in. Okay, he's in he the is. modern U.S. Canada. Yeah. Okay. I thought maybe Dave typed Kevin by mistake instead <laughs> of Kerry, and then people thought Kevin was going on, but yeah, they're they're both on there. So, uh, Kerry's on. Uh, Kevin is on the cut line, along with Sergeant Slaughter, Don Owen, Junakiyama, and Chavo Classic, Chavo Guerrero Senior, uh, who I can't see getting in, is also on the cut line. Owen and Akiyama, they're knocking on the door. Slaughter's a guy I could see being on the cut line, getting a big push, and maybe getting in. Especially yeah, he was he was fifty one percent last year. So yeah, he's I, a serious I, candidate. He doesn't need much. He doesn't need much more. He can get in. I think he's a serious candidate. And uh, Kerry Von Erich is not getting in. So um, that's the uh, that's all the fame next year. Rich, I think it's Young Bucks. Oh, I think it's Young Bucks. I believe it's uh, Okada jumps on as well. That's going to be a... Uh... Well, Okada's a slam dunk. Yeah. I don't even think that well, one's controversial. Bucks are slam dunks, too. Don't even... Anybody who says otherwise are fucking re- idiots. They're, they're, they're so clearly, so clearly slam I, dunks listen, to me. I will vote for the Young Bucks without a second thought. <laughs> I mean... Like a brand if, new if, wrestling, a brand new successful primetime wrestling show was created on the on their backs. Like, what are we doing? If you don't think they're one of the greatest tag teams just, of just all time. Just on wrestling. Even if AEW never got created, like, they're still they, there. They, so easy. Um, I think Seth Rollins goes on next year. I think. Um, oh, God. 
you know, you know, you know, Moxley has to be coming up because I think he's turned in either 35 or has the uh, 15 years in. Um, so next year potentially is super interesting with a lot of new people on the ballot. Send them, send them. Oh, they held them up. Ah, <laughs> now they got him in a rundown. All right. We got one run out of it. Damn it. That is bad base running. And I might have a few dollars on this. All right. That's a good segue. Cause uh, Joe, yeah. what time is it right now? It's winning season. You're goddamn right. It's winning season at my bookie. Uh, it's fall. It's late summer, and at my bookie, it is winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contest, survivor, and more. At my bookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. Just as Joe's trying to do there. What's are we, are we talking Reds? Or do you not bet on your own team? Are you not like Charlie Hustle? Or do you, do I got a lot of action tonight. I got some parlays going. I got a couple bucks on the Reds. I, I got money spread all over the place. You been betting on my White Sox at all? Every time Dylan ceases pitches because he's been a hot hand for yeah, him. Yeah, yes, yeah. He ceases to allow runs. Yeah, best team in the AL, baby. Yes. We play it this weekend. Oh, that's right. Going down. You might nail our uh, – put the final nail on our uh, playoff chance uh, in our playoff coffin. This weekend, we got a, we got a, but, I think uh, the, the magic number for the White Sox is three right now. So three, or, yeah, two or three. I, so you know, clinch it, clinch it in Cincinnati. You know, I think you should lay down where then. anybody wants I, to celebrate. Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> I say you lay down. I mean, uh, you don't need those games. You're right. So, You're right. You know, you set your rotation for the postseason. <laughs> right. <laughs> Get some of the taxi squad out there, but uh, send Gio Gonzalez out there. Oh like, no, you know, no, please don't. <laughs> Anyway, with my book, you can bet NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball playoffs coming up very soon there, UFC, NFL is in full swing, and then some. The craziest sports summer and sports fall of your lifetime is here. It's simple. You make your picks. You win big. You collect your cash. You invest in your intuition, Joe. You select from hundreds of futures bets. You can bet on games in real time with MyBookie's live betting as well. You can put that big brain of yours to good use. Just use promo code VOW and double your first deposit. Uh, New players get up to 1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross-sport wagers, props, parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. And again, new customers receive a 1,000% deposit match. Double your first deposit up to $1,000. You put in $100, they give you $100. You put in $1,000, they give you $1,000. 100% deposit match, but only if you use that promo code VOW. Will they double your first deposit? So that, again, MyBookie, MyBookie.ag, the MyBookie app, whatever you want to do, use promo code VOW, 100% deposit match up to $1,000. So cannot beat that for sure. All right. Uh, let's get to – you want to talk to you on Climax? Yeah, let's so do this. Grade one Climax. So, all right. We're going to pick every single match right now. September 19th. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. That would be excruciating <laughs> People want us to do that every year. Oh, I, my God. Can you imagine how – okay, October 3rd, and I have to tell you. Okay, what? how many points do we have for Osprey right now? Oh, he's at eight points. Oh, all right. <laughs> it would be terrible. It would be so bad. Listen, there's a lot of shows that do that, and I, I just – you know, God bless them. That's what they do on their shows. I, I feel like that would be tedious and boring if we did that. Um, 
And plus, it wouldn't come out the way that I want it to come out. I don't. I couldn't go through every match and then get like the results that I think are going to happen. Well, that's like like, and this is what I always do. I I, I fill out my again Voice of Wrestling. We're doing G One Climax. Pick them again. VoiceofWrestling.com. You can find all the details there. Some great prizes this year, uh, as well. But like, yeah, I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I'll end my ballot and I'll be like, all right, there we go. And I'm like. Wait, Goto's not getting 16 points? Like, what the hell am I doing? What? And then I have to go back and, like, retroactively, like, retcon it and give, like, Goto. I'm like, all right, now, Goto, I guess Goto's not beating this guy. Or, like, you know, one year I ended up, like, I had, last year I had Shingo with, like, 14. I'm like, okay, get out of here. <laughs> like, he's not winning 14. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not getting 14 points. So, like, we would have to do that, get to the end, and then have to retcon, like, 15 matches to get to the actual numbers we want to get to. So, excruciating radio, and I do not want to do it. So It's just, I'm, my, my brain isn't wired for that kind of thing. Just you know, picking every match and everything. I uh, honestly, I'd be bored halfway through the second day. I I can't get into that. But, <laughs> well, um, you should get into it at VoiceWrestling.com, by the way. If you're listening to this, not you, Joe, yeah. the listener, yeah. the, the 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 listener. If you're not joining the Pick'em, uh, you have to do it now. September 19th is when it starts. We lock them immediately once that first show starts. And don't be a trickster. It's it's very easy to tell when you're trying to get your ballot in past the 19th, mostly because you're perfect with all your picks. But we get people that try to slide in, like, on September 20th, September 23rd, and they're not clever enough because they're like, oh, hey, here's my perfect ballot that I sent in three days. It has timestamps, so don't even waste your time. I know when you send in a late ballot, so don't even bother. Get it in before September 19th. I cannot even tell you how many people try that every single year, and it fails every single time. So, Yeah. I had one guy, like, I think he sent it in, like, a week before the final, and I was like, you really didn't think I was going to catch this? Like, out of nowhere, here comes this person that's got you know, 90% of their picks right. And they would make, like, they didn't make enough wrong to, to throw me off the scent. Like, they, yeah. they made, like, three wrong. And it's like, yeah, but you still had 97% of the picks right. Like, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, nobody has that. Like, you're not winning a million dollars either. Like, right, exactly. We're giving away some t-shirts, some cool stuff, great prizes, fun prizes, Inspire Pro Wrestling, giving some Blu-rays, some great t-shirts, some great pins, posters, stickers, all that sort of stuff. But it's not a million dollars, guys. Like, you just go, we, we give links to these stores. If you really want the shirt that we're giving away, just go and buy the fucking shirt, you know? Yeah. So, uh, can I give everybody a betting lesson real quick? Let's do that. Yeah, please. After they use their code VOW at mybookie.ag this week, and uh, mybookie matches their deposit, when you're betting baseball, and maybe you're not aware of this either, Rich. When you bet a baseball game, okay, you can bet what's called, if you just bet the game, I'll give you an example. Tonight, the Mets were minus 175 against the Phillies because DeGrom was on the hill, okay? So you could bet that game minus 175, and you have options, though, and I don't know if people know these options. You could just bet the action. And then you've got your money on the Mets. But you could also bet to where if DeGrom doesn't pitch for some reason or the opposing pitcher doesn't pitch for some reason, the bet is null and void and you get your money back. Okay? So there's an action bet where it's just you're betting on the game, doesn't matter. Or you can, you know, pick the little disclaimer, I only want this bet if the starting pitchers go. Well, I put a large amount of money on the New York Mets tonight and Jacob DeGrom. But I didn't, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't play action because I only wanted the game if it was Degrom. Degrom was scratched at the last minute Oof. for Aaron Nola, and the Mets are losing four nothing in the fourth inning. JL just saved himself a ton of money. You gotta, you gotta dig into the details. Who's taking Aaron Nola minus one seventy for nobody? Okay, it's a little lesson if you're dropping that deposit on my bookie. Betting baseball, make sure you're getting that starting pitcher. Don't let him take your money. 
G1, Rich. G1, let's do it. So, all right. Um, one thing with the G1 this year, which, which is interesting. So, we'll, we'll obviously, we'll, we'll, you know, instead of previewing that, we're going to talk about all this as it's happening in real time or whatnot. But we have the entire schedule out there. We have all the matches. We know everything that's going on. Uh, you know, some shows really stand out above others. But I think, all in all, I'd say, you know, just my general thought of the schedule is a pretty balanced schedule this year. There, there's sometimes where you definitely feel like, you know, and your big-time venues, your big-time, you know, towns will tend to have, you know, a little bit more stacked shows. Like the opener September 19th. You got Okada versus Ibushi, Shingo versus Jay White, Ishii versus Suzuki. You know, there's some really good matches to kick things off. But I'd say, all in all, I, I consider this a pretty balanced schedule. I think they did a really good job of spreading out some top-tier matches. And I think one of the issues, too, is you don't have to draw nearly as much. I mean, the the, the, the need to draw in a certain town isn't as, as, as prevalent here because, like, you're probably going to sell the amount of tickets that you're going to try to sell uh, basically everywhere you go. So you don't really have to stack shows or stack matches and all that sort of stuff. And I don't know if I like that or dislike Because I, I, I always like the idea that, like, sometimes you would have you know, this random show in this random area that, that would be awesome. It was, like, filled with really, really good matches. Whereas I feel like this is a very balanced schedule where, like, every single night there's at least two matches or so that are pretty good. But I don't know. Where, where do you stand on that? Do you, do you prefer to have kind of these stacked mega shows or do you like the idea that things are pretty spread out? Or do Man, you agree? Or do you agree or disagree that things are pretty spread out, I should say? I'm, I'm confused here. The Grom did pitch and he got bombed. But, but listen to this, Rich. <laughs> I still had my ass saved because Nola was supposed to pitch for the Phillies, but it was Wheeler. And I put in the bet when it was Nola. So I, I, I it still saved my ass, but like from the other direction. <laughs> in a weird, yeah, in a weird roundabout way. So You see what I'm saying? I have no business getting this money back. But this is why you click the box that says the starting both starting pitchers must go. This is why you do it, Rich. Situations like this, I should really be losing this money. Man, I'm feeling lucky tonight. Um, yeah, so uh, what was your question again? I <laughs> That's fine. You're, you're focused on the money. I, I know. Yeah, you got it. Um, you put that well, big deposit down. Because I, I pulled up the box score and saw DeGrom, and I was like, wait a minute. What the fuck? But the, <laughs> but my, the screen is telling me that the bet's null and void. I'm like, well, then what happened? It was the Phillies pitcher that got scratched, not DeGrom. Anyway. What well, was, it's what it's was safe that question? you would think that DeGrom would never give up four runs because he's given up like, you know. Two runs all the last two like, years. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was thinking, I was like, wait a minute. Nola's on the Phillies. Why does this say that Nola pit? And then I'm like, oh, Nola was supposed to start with. Anyway, nobody cares. Um, point is, JL might still be getting that uh, uh, beverage refrigerator for his garage. There we go. Fantastic. That's what we're all waiting That's on. all that matters. Yeah. So, okay. So, in wasting everyone's time with my baseball betting, I forgot your question. <laughs> That's what fine. That's fair. Uh, so I guess it's a two-part question. So first off, yeah. do you agree with me that this G1, more so than maybe past G1s that we've seen, has a way more balanced schedule in terms of when the matches, you know, big-time matches, standout matches, draw matches, all that sort of stuff. To me, it feels way more spread out than prior years, where, like, if you had, you know, stack things at the beginning, stack things at the end, and then the middle you might get a bone tossed, you know, once or twice a, a show at most. Whereas I feel like, yeah. and, and again, you can agree or disagree that, you know, throughout this tournament that pretty much every single night has like a pretty good one to two really good standout matches, kind of a draw match. And, and they've kind of tried to balance things out a little bit, mostly because you don't need to, the, the draw isn't as important anymore. You're going to, you're going to sell 500 tickets wherever you go. Like there's no problem about that. So you don't need to stack these things to sell tickets nearly as much. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's, I think it's more because the a block is so stacked that every night looks balanced. Because it's hard not to have a bunch of awesome matchups sure. in that particular block. I don't, I don't think they made any kind of concerted effort 
to to balance everything out. I still think you see, despite the fact that they're selling limited tickets, I I still think you see, um, you know, the key matches and the key venues and things like that for the most part. Um, unless you've identified uh, a a, uh, a pattern that I haven't, um, I just think it's that the, that that one block is so good that it may look like everything is more dispersed. Well, let's actually real quickly without going over all of the the matches on every single show. I did want to touch on like kind of the top matches, the standout matches. I think uh, for each of the nights. So we start September nineteenth, as I mentioned, Okada and Ibushi, uh, Shingo J White, Ishii versus Minoru Suzuki. So three really good matches to start off. Uh, the A block, and, and more to your point, that like it's hard to really have a bad match in the A block. Uh, you know, even Will Ospreay versus Yujiro, your most anticipated match of the G1 comes up on that that first night uh, as well. Uh, September 20th in Osaka, again, uh, Naito Tanahashi on the top there. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Evil, Hiroki Goto Kenta uh, are your three kind of standout matches, I would say, uh, for the 20th. 23rd, Sapporo, uh, Kotobushi, Jay White, so it's kind of a rematch of, of, of last year's uh, 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 tournament final. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii and Will Ospreay. And then uh, eh, that show kind of falls off a cliff after those two. Minoru Suzuki, Taiichi, Okada, Yujiro, Jeff Cobb, Shingo. But, uh, well, Jeff Cobb, Shingo should. I mean, that'd be an interesting one. If you can't have a good match against Shingo in 2020 or, or 2019, I, uh, eh, that's, that's one to look out for for Jeff Cobb. If he doesn't have a <laughs> deliver there, then I don't think he's going to deliver the whole tournament. So, Who, Cobb? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like we said last week about Cobb, though. He's going to have so many matchups with great wrestlers. It's going to be hard. He can't have a bad tournament necessarily. I think some of those matches will land. I'm not super confident. I'd, I'd be less confident in him in the other block. There's a lot of matches. Oh, God. That he'd get block. eaten up. Yeah, he'd get eaten up in the B block for sure. It's so. just, there's a lot of matches that would just fall off, the, you know. But, but I mean, it's a great block. I mean, it's hard. You know, you get in there with Ishii and Abushi and Will Ospreay. You really don't have to do anything. But, you know, uh, be competent when you're in there with guys like that, you know. Uh, oh, sorry. So, so September 24th, Sapporo. This, this, this one looks like potential for I'd say maybe the worst show uh, on the entire thing. You got Naito and Zack Saber Jr. on top. Yoshihashi versus Evil. Juice Robinson versus Kenta. I'm very scared about Kenta, Joe. After what I've seen on New Japan Strong, I'm very, very scared about Kenta this year. No, those those New Japan Strong main events fucking stink. <laughs> They're so I, bad. I'm so scared. It, Please. Yeah, it's garbage. It's just straight up garbage. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Toru Yano, and then Hiroki Goto versus Sonata. So uh, circle September 24th as a, a bit of a dud there. <laughs> maybe we'll be surprised. Maybe we'll be surprised, but uh, not looking good on, on on paper there for September 24th. So the New Japan Strong undercards with all those tags. Oh, and they're stuff. great. And then, and then you get these main events with Well, it's with all Kenta. business. It's guys getting in there. It's guys trying to prove that they're better. And then Kenta comes out, and there's seven ref bombs and a bunch of... And you're like, what the fuck, dude? Like, come on. Yeah, it's junk. We don't need that. We don't need it. Uh, September 27th, uh, Okada versus Jay White on top. That's a huge match in Kobe. Uh, Will Ospreay versus Shingo. Kota Bushi versus Tomohiro Ishii. My God. <laughs> September 27th. <Yeah>. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah, Kota Bushi and Tomohiro Ishii is the third from the top. Yeah, that's a great show. This is what I mean, but Kobe's a big-time stop. This is why I'm saying I don't notice a pattern of more. I just I feel like they still stack the They just couldn't help. I mean, there's just no way to have a bad show in the A block is, is I guess, what you're kind of saying. Yeah, and I still think they're stacking the cities that usually get stacked. So, um, you know, and Taichi gets paired with Yujiro on that show, which, you know, when Taiji, Yujiro, and Cobb are paired with each other, it frees up everybody else to wrestle each other. But then you get a show where Cobb, Taichi, and Yujiro, and Taichi's a little better than those guys, I think. Sure, oh, of course, but, yeah, yeah. But 
when you get the shows where those guys all have a match against the big guys, then it's like those those lineups don't look as good. But you know, when Cobb wrestles Yujiro and Taichi wrestles Yujiro and Taichi wrestles Cobb, those shows it like works out because then the rest of these you know top guys are all against each other. So that's kind of what happened in Kobe or Kobe, whatever Kobe, you say. Yeah, whatever. Uh, September 29th uh, in Korokin, Hiroki Goto, Naito on top, Toro Yano versus Evil, Tanahashi versus Juice Robinson, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kenta, Yoshihashi versus Sonata for that show. The problem so. with the B block is like you're saying, you, you just have far less confidence that anything involving Kenta is going to be anything other than dog shit. And the, the problem with that is you have that same risk with Evil. You have Yano, who would have, whatever he does is a waste of time. You have Yoshihashi, which he'll try hard, and I think he'll have some good matches. But the problem is when Kenta gets into that muck too, now you've got at least three guys in that block that are just going to muck it yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it, it, and, it drags everything down. And then if you're not a huge Sonata fan, you're really left with like Goto, really Naito, struggling. Tanahashi, Saber, and, and Juice, and then the other half of the block is just kind of, you know, yeah, varying degrees yeah. of either bullshit or just not that entertaining, so... Right. That's why the B block is tricky. Because right off the bat, three guys are mucking it up. Look, Juice could use a big G1 at some point. I mean, he never seems to have a big G1. and He's not really set up for it in this block. Tanahashi has physical questions, but you can't write him off. And, um, you know, and then away you go. You kind of ran down the rest. If you're not, like you said, the other big key is if you're not a big Sonata guy, then you're really in trouble with this block. You know, because then that's a third or fourth or even fifth guy where it's like, eh. So I'm concerned about the B block. And the first B block show that you talked about on the 20th in Osaka is going to go a long way in telling us how these wrestlers are going to approach these matches because you've got Naito and Tanahashi in the main event, which means all all those other guys are on the undercard. And we're going to find out real quick, um, you know, what kind of matches we're going to get out of them. Because you got Yano, Kenta, and Evil all in singles matches that night. And we'll know what their style of work is going to be throughout the rest of the tournament very quickly. Uh, September 30th, also in Corican, Ishii and Shingo, Will Ospreay and Jay White, uh, Okada versus Taichi, Kota Bushi, Jeff Cobb, Minoru Suzuki, uh, Yujiro. So uh, less so of a, a, a real good Corican, but at least you got you know Ishii and Shingo on the top and Ospreay and Jay White, which uh, should be pretty solid. It's hard to to come up with a bad card in that block. It is, yeah. That stack. might that might so, be the worst one, just because you know the potential for Cobb and and and, and Ibushi not to quite work out. Yujiro to kind of muck it up with Minoru, uh, Taichi to muck it up. Maybe Jay mucks it, but like that might be the worst one, honestly, is September thirtieth. And even that's pretty damn good. So the baseline well, BA block is is solid. It's like I talked about last week. If Taichi just goes out there and wrestles, he can be very good against a lot of these guys. My concern is because they don't have a guy in that. They block, don't have a muck. Yeah, I don't have a muck guy in the A block, and they might need him to be that guy. Which exactly, and that me. means every one of his matches are going to be taken down. Well, him, him and Yujiro as well. I'm worried about both of those guys. See, Yujiro, I think is just going to go out there and be the first of the five matches every night and have an eight minute match, and you're not going to like it. But it's just going to exist, and you're just going to like, all right, it's 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 the eight minute opener and. It is what it is. You hope it's like three and a quarter. It'll probably be two and a half. <laughs> I'm not really worried so much about him. I'm worried about them booking Taichi in a way in that he becomes the night off and it's bells and whistles and 
He's choking people with yeah, the fuck. and it goes for fifteen minutes. More importantly, yeah, that's my concern. You know, where it's like if Yano was in the block with Taichi, you you worry about it less because Yano's the night off. So I, I'm a little concerned about how yeah how the Taichi matches come off, only because he's the only guy in that block who has the potential to be that, and they may want that in one of the matches every night in that block. Um, so we move on here. Uh, B block October 1st, Naito and Sonata on top. That's an interesting one for sure. Uh, Kenta versus evil. <laughs> God, kill me now uh, for that one. Uh, and then Hiroshi Tanahashi and Yoshihashi. Goto, Zack Sabre Jr., Juice Robinson, Toriyano on that night. So that's that. Uh, October 5th, uh, another fun as fuck show here. Uh, Kotobushi versus Will Ospreay. Uh, Ishii versus Taichi, Okada versus Suzuki, and those guys always have pretty good. Co- well, hit or miss. Either they're great or they're terrible. There's no in between between Okada, Minoru, Suzuki. I'll yeah. see what happens there. But yeah, that October 5th show, just with Kota Bushi and Will Ospreay at the top, uh, mm-hmm. has got to get you excited, given what we've seen from, from especially from Osprey uh, in, 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 in Rev Pro, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, October 6th, you got Tanahashi and Kenta, Yoshihashi Naito, Juice Robinson versus Evil. That's kind of your top, top tier matches there. Uh, October 7th, Abushi, Shingo, Taichi J. White, Will Ospreay, Minoru Suzuki. Um, that's a good contender maybe for one of the other worst uh, ones. But Abushi and Shingo at top sounds pretty damn good. <laughs> you know, either way, uh, October 8th, another B-block, Tanahashi versus Evil, Juice versus Naito, Sonata versus Kenta. Um, then we'll just kind of run through these other ones real quick because nothing. I wouldn't say there's any you know super standout shows uh, here until we get to the final few days. Uh, October 10th, Okada versus Shingo. Uh, Kota Bushi versus Noru Suzuki, uh, Will Ospreay versus Taichi. On that night, October 11th, Naito versus Evil, Tanahashi versus Goto, uh, Juice Robinson versus Sonata. So, uh, real quick here, October 13th, Okada versus Ishii. That uh, sounds pretty good on top. October 14th, you got Hiroshi Tanahashi and Sonata okay, on top. One, yeah, okay, go ahead. Hold on, hold on. That October 13th, that might be the worst A block show because Osprey is with Cobb, Abushi's with Yujiro, and Shingo's with Taichi. So you're really taking out three of the, you know, arguably the three best guys in that block. With yeah, the three right, right, right. Yeah, you get Okada Ishii and Suzuki Jay White. Now, Jay White could be the guy that mucks it up, too. You know, we can't discount that. Definitely been known to do that. Yeah, definitely been known to do that. So, But I'm looking at that one, October 13th. That could be the worst A block show, and look, it's it's in a not in a town that they normally feature. Yeah, so I, or whatever. So I really think they booked it the way they always book it. I don't think they worried about COVID or half crowds or anything. Uh, October fourteenth in Yokohama, uh, things start to get a little bit more businessy uh, here. Tanahashi versus Sonata, Goto versus Evil, uh, Juice Robinson, Zack Saber Jr., Yano Naito, that sort of stuff there. Uh, and then we go to Sumo Hall for the final two nights. These are the big ones here. October sixteenth, A block, Shingo versus Suzuki. Ishii versus Jay White, Okada versus Osprey, Cobb versus Yujiro, and Kotobushi versus Taichi. I got to uh, tell you a little story. Yeah, go ahead. So last week, what, we put 1,000 to 1 on Cobb to win the block? We did, yes, like yeah, that. yeah. A listener DM'd me. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and wanted to put a little action on Cobb to win the block at 1,000 to 1. He wanted to put 20 bucks on it. and wanted to know if I'd cover the 20K. And... I talked the listener out of it. I could not steal their $20 because it would have been a free 20, 20 spot for JL, right? I mean, there's no chance Cobb's winning the block. I said, look, man, just look at the Sumo Hall lineup. Cobb is wrestling Ujiro. That's got first match out of the gate written all over it. And both of them have four points. 
Why are you tearing up a $20 bill and putting it through a shredder? You're wasting your money. You've got dreams of 20K that you have no chance of winning. There's no chance that Jeff Cobb – all you got to do is look at that matchup. You know what I mean? So it's like I can't take your action. It's not because I'm scared I'm going to lose. I just don't want to take free money from you. There's no chance Jeff Cobb can win the block because he wouldn't be matched with Ujiro on the final night. So that's your tip-off right there. Um, but obviously, uh, the other man, and the guy came to a sense. He's like, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to give you a free 20 bucks. It's, <laughs> he, put, he, put, he put pen to paper on the contract, though, Joe. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I talked him out of it. I was like, <laughs> I'm I thinking about it now. You know, I can't take your Maybe Rich will take your 20 bucks, but um, <laughs> I can't pay that out. So, yeah, no. I think this is what happens. Bought that new car. Sometimes. I can't pay that out. So, <laughs> what, what happens with gambling sometimes is you do the math in your head of what you could win. And then you start dreaming about that. No, oh, not me. Payoff. Not me. I'm the worst gambler ever. I just think about how much I'm going to lose. I never think of the winnings. I always think of the losing. So I just never gamble. So. Yeah. I'm like, dude, look at that final day. You don't have a chance. I mean, I, I, I really don't want to take, even though it's only 20 bucks, I, in good conscience, I can't take that action. Um, but, you know, you look at the Okada Will Ospreay, and immediately when I saw the lineups, that's what jumped out at me. Because they're wrestling on the final day which tells you that there's a very good chance that Will Ospreay will be in the mix yeah. to advance on the final day because it'd be very strange for them to put Okada in a match against a guy who's out. Okay? So that tells me that Will Ospreay, who had a losing record last year, is probably going to take a bit of a step up in this year's tournament in a very stacked block and be in the mix, which is if that's the case, was definitely an eyebrow raiser for me. Um, Will Ospreay has never beaten Okada, and that's a story that they're definitely telling. That's deliberate. I think he's 0-4 if you count the Rev Pro match. Uh, the Rev Pro match that really got Will Ospreay invited into chaos and kicked off his New Japan career and all that because Okada was impressed with him. And that has that match has been part of New Japan canon. So I think it's 0-4 if you count that match. Maybe 0-5, maybe 0-3. I might be a match off. I think it's 0-4. And they're deliberately holding off that, you know, as one of Will Ospreay's big scalps. The big scalp he's going to get. He already beat Tanahashi. So he's eventually going to beat Okada in a singles match. I don't think it's going to be in this tournament. I think it's too soon. I'm still picking Okada to win the block, and I'm still picking Okada to win the whole tournament. But it's going to be another one of these matches, I think, where Osprey takes Okada to the limit, comes up short, and it's part of his progressive story. Again, nobody remembers that Will Osprey went like what four and five or three and six in the G1 last year. All they remember is that he beat Tanahashi. It doesn't really matter what your record is, it's who you beat and when you beat them. And it's who you wrestle and where you wrestle them. And that's what I think this is. This is a showcase match. It's Sumo Hall. It's the final night. Okada will probably need it to advance. And they're probably going to main event. And they're going to be told to go out there and have the best match possible. And the story is going to be Will Ospreay, uh, Okada surviving by a thread against this guy as we continue to tell this story of Will Ospreay eventually beating him yeah. and overcoming him. And when he does that, then he becomes a made guy and a main eventer in the company. So this is, to me, 
when I saw the schedule come out. This is my yellow highlighter. This is my match of the tournament. This is my number one. Because to me, this is the biggest and most important storytelling match of the tournament. This one. And um, that's the one that I have highlighted, circled, whatever you want to call it. Really jumped out at me more than any other match in, in any of the lineups. Uh, so I do want to say here, uh, and, and before we get to the B block, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on, on these. with two, two articles I wanted to plug uh, at Voices of Wrestling. One, John Carroll... Uh, did uh, G1 Climax previews for both the A Block and the B Block. Just incredible, incredible work uh, by John I on think those. They're 497,000 words. Um, the rough estimate, I think, is not that far off from there. They are, those articles they are, are lengthy. They're long. You will not find a better preview uh, for the nothing G1 Climax. More, nothing more in depth on planet Earth. None of you other geeks have come anywhere close. So, to what's John your other previews? The other article. Uh, is one that it, it's called Gato's 2020 G1 Climax Booking. Uh, so what? I don't care. 30 years this tournament uh, was the name of it. But uh, what, what's interesting about that column is is you know Jay Michael who, who did uh, uh, G1 Climax uh, numbers for our, our ebook last year uh, started looking at the schedule this year and just and and, and came up with a, a, a weird con- uh, just sort of like a Gato's kind of fit everything that Gato's done for years prior. And this doesn't just apply to the G1. It applies to a lot of the Gato booking has seemingly kind of followed a template, followed some sort of like, okay, well, this and then this, and that, like, it all kind of makes sense, and it all's kind of... 2020, he's decided, fuck it, I'm, I'm throwing everything out, you know. And the G1's no exception. So so it, there's a, it's a long article. It goes on a little bit of a winding road to get to where it's going to get to. I will just jump to this part, but if you're confused, the article, I think, does a really good job of kind of setting the stage and then getting you to where it is. But, but here's the part that I wanted to bring up before we talk about the B-Block and just see what your thoughts are and if that affects your picks or affects how you react to these final two days. Because like we said, usually when these schedules come out, we look at the final two days and go, okay, boom, boom, boom. Those guys are going to win the tournament or those guys are going to be in the mix. These guys are not going to be in the mix. It's over. It's, not, it's easy to find. This year, I don't know that it is as easy, and, and, and J. Michael does bring up a good point here. So he says, to reiterate, since the G1 Climax adopted the current 19-day schedule in 2015, these five things have been true every single time. The number one and number two in semi-main events have come from different blocks and not tied with anybody. These are where their placements are on the shows. Wait, wait, wait. I don't understand that. Run that, run that past The number one and number two in semi-main events, combined, like counting the amount of semi-main events... Oh, okay, okay. They've gotcha. come from different blocks, and they have not been tied with anybody. So there's been a clear, this is who I want to be number one, this is who I want to be number two in semi main events in terms of the book. Wait, I'm still confused. So the number, the person with the most main events and semi-main, semi-main events. Semi-main events. No, se- both semi-main events. We're talking no- people that ranked first and second in semi-main events. Oh. Have always come from different blocks. If I read all these, it'll make more sense. There, it, there's building blocks on these. All right, I'm curious because that first one doesn't really move my needle. Okay, Go ahead. and that's fine. But yeah, that, like like I said, that one is going to play up to the, what's going to come okay, later. Okay, I got in, you. In I the, got so okay, the number two point here: the things that have always been true since 2000 or has been true for the last five years. The number one and number two person in main events have always come from different blocks. Okay. The number one has always been clear, and sometimes there's been ties for number two in those different blocks as well. But all you have to know is there's always been a. This guy's the top guy in main events of A block. This guy's the number one guy in main events of B block. And the number one has always been clear amongst those. Okay? Okay. There's been a clear this guy main events more shows than everybody else. Right. In both blocks. So, okay. Um, The number one and number two in seven main events have always been in the main event of their block finals since 2015. Okay. So, remember that first point that I said there? The number one and number two in seven mains have always been in the main event of their block finals. 
Right. So that wasn't very interesting to begin with. Yes, but, but it, it was going to work in, in, in a second. But the two, right, the two, right, number one and number two in semi, total semi-main events are always in the block. And it's important that they're in opposite blocks because they're always in the final yeah. Uh, they're always in the main event of the final night. Okay, now I'll oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah, so, so, now... so, so that's where it goes there. So now it gets yeah. even more <laughs> wild here. So again, this is from 2015 to the present. Every single block final main event, 10 out of 10, this is going back even 10 years now, has been, or, or this is going back, you know, the five years, as I said, 10 out of 10 block final main events has been the number one in main events for the block versus the number one for semi-main events as well. Okay, so the top two people in every block end up main eventing against each other on the final night. Right. Every time. Every time. Nine out of the ten G1 Climax finalists had been in the main event of the final night of their block. Okay. Okay, that seems pretty obvious. So now we look at the schedule. You know, with, with we don't have, we don't know nights 17 and 18. Presumably those, those are not because they don't want to tip off who's, you know, in the main event or whatever. Uh, 16 and 17, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or that, that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, So the most main events in the A block now Without those two nights where we don't know, it's tied. Okada and Ibushi are your two guys with the most main events in the A block. Okay. Your most semi-main events in the A block are Jay White. So your most main events in the B block and the most main events okay, overall. So let's oh, start sorry, with sorry. The go A ahead. Block. Yeah, we'll start with the A. So that ha- that means this trend has to be broken. The trend is broken because by tradition, then the main event of the A block would be White versus either Okada either or Ibushi. Either Okada or Ibushi, yeah. but he's facing Ishii. Okay, exactly. So so that's so, broken now. That that what has been true the last five years is broken. That's done. It's now. broken in the A block. Yeah. Yep. So you can't use that as a predictor, even though for five years straight it held firm. Exactly. Okay. So now B block. So B block, the most main events. I'm into this now. You got it's me good. Yes. Yeah. See, I, you had to build it. I you had to. You had to be patient. Patience, Joe. <laughs> I'm into this. As I said, the article even does even more winding roads, and there's a part two coming up as well. So definitely, definitely read this if you get a chance. Again, it's called yeah. uh, G- uh, Gato's 2020 G1 Climax Booking. So what? I don't care. 30 years of this tournament. So yeah, a little play on the, the great T-shirts. But uh, anyway, so the most main events in the B block and overall is Tetsuya Naito at five. So he he, he leads everybody in, in main events. The most okay, semi-main events in the B block and the most semi-main events overall is Evil, also with five. But they're not facing each other. They're not facing each other. The last match of the B block should then be Naito versus Evil, but they face each other in night 14. Hmm. So who the fuck knows? <laughs> it's wide open now, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Um, so you can't follow that pattern, which has held firm for five straight years. Well, I mean, when I look at B block... It's obvious to me the two matches that are going to matter. Sonata versus Evil and Naito versus Kenta. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is why Sonata is the betting favorite to win the tournament. Mm -hmm. On the European books. And, man, you know, my bookie's got to start adding wrestling because... We would make them a ton of money. Oh my god! Yeah, if if, if they're listening, their reps are listening. We'll, we'll we'll timestamp this as well. Maybe we'll put a little note in our email. Uh, you guys got to start a- taking action on wrestling because we could you know, have a full show on that. To be honest, we have some we have some degenerate gamblers in our Slack that I think could host an entire show uh, on wrestling betting for sure. So, so you could see why people why Sonata is the betting favorite to win the tournament because you know it's like Naito's the champion, so. He's not going to win the tournament in all likelihood. And you really don't want him in a final either. So that just screams Kenta spoiling him. 
particularly since they had a title match earlier this year. Right, and it seems like an easy rematch to have in October or whatever. King of Pro- you, know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that that to me seems so obvious that Kenta spoils Naito. So then it comes down to Sonata and Evil, and it just you feel like Evil, you know, was just on top. So it's like, you know, I could see where they're coming from with, with Sonata. Those other three matches obviously aren't going to mean anything. You know, it's Tanahashi and Zack Sabre Jr., you could easily see them being eliminated by that point. And they're already feuding with each other. So it's an easy match to do on that night and all that. The other two matches are yeah. clearly good. <laughs> I don't be think Yoshihashi is going to be spoiled uh, by Toru Yano, but you know, maybe. No, they're <laughs> clearly meaningless. Now the A block, Okada obviously is going to be in the mix. The question is whether Will will be in the mix as well. I don't see why you would do that match with Will strictly playing a spoiler though. Yeah, I agree. Two. I agree. The, the way I see the A block and, and and just kind of reading, you know, that card, I think Ishii and Jay White is obviously, you know, one of the big, big matches there with Jay White being in the mix, of course. Uh, Ishii not going to be in the mix, but unfortunately, but it can play spoiler. Uh, Okada and Osprey, I read that like you as well, where both guys are in play one way or another. Um, Okada obviously winning over, over Will, but Will uh, getting in the mix there. I am interested as well, very interested in Kotobushi and Taichi. If Taichi plays spoiler to Kotobushi as well, because it would play in again. They're still kind of semi-feuding after the tag uh, title thing, so I guess it doesn't make. But but I, I don't think you can eliminate Kotobushi before that night. I feel like he has to still be in the mix as potentially repeating as champion, right? No, Taichi's knocking him out. Yeah, right, right. And then uh, Shingo Minoru Suzuki is both guys will be out. Yeah, for sure. And Cobb and Yujiro, obviously, both guys will be out. So then it'll come down to, you know, Bushi will get knocked out. And I don't know what the order of the matches will be, but, you know, I, I think Ishii will be playing spoiler. And then, you know, Okada and Will Ospreay. I think if that match goes on last, Okada's advancing. You know, and it's like, I think the only chance Will would have to pull the upset is if it doesn't go on last. But I, I, it's going on last. There's no other main event there. There's no other main event there. I mean, if it was a Bushi Jay White, that's a main event. Yeah, right, right. You, you know what I mean? I, I, there's no other main event. So I really think Okada is beating Will Ospreay to advance. Probably would – it's a situation where if he loses, Jay White advances or something. You know what I mean? But he'll win. And then, man, you know, if they, if they give people Okada Sonata, people are going to flip out. Because they just did that match like four times. And a lot of people didn't like a lot of them. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm look. I'm not as I'm not as dead set on Sonata like everybody else is. I think they're going to do Okada and Evil because I really think it makes the most sense because then Okada can get his win back against Evil because Evil beat him in New Japan Cup. So to me, that's the final that makes the most sense. You know, and then he could thwart the interference and Goto and uh, D- Dick Togo and all that bullshit and get his win back. And then, you know, you set up Okada Naito again. You know, whether you're getting a half full dome or a full dome, whatever the case. So that's how I read all of this. Yeah, I, I, I like that move. I also, I can't get out of my head, you know, Jay White. I, I don't know where Jay White is slotted right now. I guess that's the biggest thing is like. I don't know where they see him. I don't know what they see out of him. I don't know if he's the leader of the Bullet Club, if Evil's the leader of the Bullet Club, if that becomes the story as the Jay White comes back and is like, wait a minute, like, what the fuck? Like, I'm here. What the hell? What's this asshole doing here? And maybe you set up a Jay White versus Evil final. 
that's I don't think out of the realm of possibility. As, as no, that's what I was well. just gonna say. You could do Jay White evil and then tell, start telling that story. Right. Yeah, that that's uh, the problem though is it's so hard to predict because we don't know what they think of Jay White right now. We don't know where no. Jay White's slotted. Is he the second in command? Either. Is he the top? I don't know what the fuck he's doing. I don't see either one of them as domain eventers. Is that too harsh? No, I no, just, I agree. I, I'm with you. I mean, so that's my problem with that final. Um, I mean, sometimes you overthink these things. You know, who wins these things? Guys that are... Yeah, at the end of the day, you're, you're building up a half of the Tokyo Domain event, so... You know, unless it's going to be the year where someone loses a case or something. There's always that factor. I get it. But, um, you know, I err on the side of the safe pick. I think Okada's the safe and obvious pick. Here's that year where Tanahashi was the obvious pick and everybody worked themselves into a shoot to pick someone else. It was Tanahashi all along. And he won it, and everyone was like, well, that fucking makes sense. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? God like, damn it, that made a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, why did why'd we pick fucking, you know, whoever the fuck? Everybody would pick Shibata every year, and it was like, no, man, it's going to be Naito or Okada. or It's never going to be Shibata. Stop. You know, so it's like, I, I just... You do a Jay White Evil final, yeah, it's a nice story match. You see what's going to happen with those two. I can't. I, I don't. I want. I want these, one of those guys headline the dome, and I don't think they, they're going to do. So I don't know. I just think it's going to be Okada over Evil. I mean, I, I'm just going. You know, uh, the match that the simplest matchup that makes the most sense with the way that they book. They love these guys getting their wins back, avenging a loss, and Okada. That's a dome main eventer. In a match that I don't think has drawn all the money that it can. I think Okada and Naito has more money in it. Yeah, for sure. I could, I could potentially, as you said, kind of put the evil story in the back burner. That if this summer of evil is over and we're now moved on to, you know, this thing or, or whatever it's going to be. So I don't want to reveal who, you know, I'll reveal it on next week's show. Uh, who the G1 pick them, you know, the, the favorites uh, for, for the, the, the G1 winner and the block winners. Because I don't want to influence the voting. I don't want people then to kind of, you know, pick based off, you know, who's not being picked or whatever. But um the old daily fantasy where you, you, you want to pick who no one else is picking. Exactly. Yeah, I, don't, I don't want to do that because I don't want people getting cute or whatever in, in their picks. But I will say there is there's two overwhelming people that, that are, are picked as a G1 Climax winner. And they're people that we have mentioned many, many times uh, throughout this as well. So it's, it, it's pretty interesting. But, yeah, that's a, you know, only like we get a ton of responses over the last two days. So I'll be interested to see how that uh, how Well, that Rich, I haven't, and, I, haven't, I haven't seen it. But I assume that everyone's picking Jay White and Sonata to win the blocks. I mean, I, you don't have to say. I know you don't want to say, but. I would I would say my um, prediction would nah, be not necessarily. No. There's so one of those was wrong. At uh, least one of those is wrong. They're okay, so they're they're both they're heavy I I don't say they're heavy favorites, because the A block Okada is the favorite right now. Okay. To win, but Jay White is very closely behind him. Whereas B block is overwhelmingly in Sonata's favor. So so you did give them away after all. Sort of, but not the winner. I didn't give the G1 winner. That's a, that one's, real, oh, that one's tight. Winner. That one's tight. That's like, dude, there is a – the next vote that comes in will swing that one uh, one way or another. So, uh, yeah, that oh. one is is point, point, 0.4% difference between the two <laughs> G1 winners uh, there. So that that's that's nice to see a lot of uh, a lot of debate as, as to who can actually win this thing. So, Yeah. All right, interesting. Um yeah, I don't know. Uh, Getting a lot of draws too. <laughs> There's a lot of people that love draws. Why? <laughs> I why? see these every year, and I'm like, you know why they're doing draws? Because they here's what they're doing. 
they're picking all the matches, and like we said earlier, it's not coming out the way they want. Yeah, right, right, right. So they're using draws to like knock points off of people to get the right people advancing is yeah. what they're doing. Um, what there's one match where a lot of people are picking a draw. I can't remember. Is it uh, not in the spreadsheet because I haven't seen the spreadsheet, but just like online and on Twitter and stuff, I see a lot of people picking a draw for one particular match. I can't remember. So what the it is one now. that right now had, well, <laughs> I hate spoiling. Anyway, don't, don't pick based off what I'm saying here. Pick by your own intuition or whatever. Uh, but anything involving LIJ versus LIJ or Bullet Club versus Bullet Club, people have heavy draws on. Okay. So like the idea that like, I, I guess they, <laughs> I don't know. There, One person shows a draw for, for Juice Robinson versus Evil. And I kind of want to tell them like, they're probably yeah, just going to pick not. a winner there, guys. Like, yeah, that's just, I'm telling you, though, that's just like, yeah. that was someone, they're like, oh, fuck, I have evil winning the block, but I want so-and-so to win the block, so I, I'm just going to throw a draw somewhere. Um, It's probably, with, with that. <laughs> you're not getting a, an evil Juice Robinson draw in the middle of some card in, in fucking Hamamatsu or whatever. Yeah. You're not getting that. I mean, it's absurd. Um, yeah, Juice is going to have a pin. One, two, ding, ding, ding. No, <laughs> time limit. Oh, yeah. God. I mean, you can get the draw in Sumo Hall. If it's you know, fucking Tanahashi and Okada, yeah, having a main event, a 35 minute main event or whatever, you know, 20, 30 minute main event. But yeah, I don't know if. Uh, you're yeah. not getting a draw in Hiroshima on October 7th. <laughs> right. You know, it's not, you're not getting that. You know, Okayama is not being treated to a Toriano Zack Sabre Jr. <laughs> 30 minute draw it's you know <laughs> at least we hope not i got you know? it god help us if they do but you know so that's what's up with that yeah, that's but, my, favorite, uh, my favorite thing every year is to go through and see uh, who's picking draws but you're right it's absolutely people at the end of the day going like ah, i don't really want taichi to have 12 points you know It'd be better if he didn't have 12 points let me find a way to, to maneuver his points a little bit so when does this fucking shit start september oh, wow. 19th saturday saturday morning joe saturday i don't know why i'm so nasty about it but um Okay, am I still am I still covering you on the twentieth or what? I don't know what I'm doing yet. Okay. Yeah, let me know. I got uh, look, this has been a piece of cake so far. I mean, <laughs> I had to watch a bunch of bad El Japan matches. So. Three champion carnival shows in the books. It's half over. I got another day or two off until we get to uh, uh, the start of the N one on Friday. Then Saturday the G one starts, and then that that Sunday is a tricky day. Yeah. That well, the, be- I, the best thing about the G one though, um, overall, I don't know, you you probably seen it as well, is that like they're not filling the shows with a bunch of shitty tag matches that don't matter. Nope. It's nope. fucking business. <laughs> go click that file. Boom, 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 boom. Business. Let's go. I love it. One one young lion match, and which is fine with me. I'll watch. And young then lion five matches all day, tournament yeah. matches, and then that's that's that. So, um, you know, I might be. Uh, hitting you up on Saturday to maybe take the G1 show. But, um, of course, patreon.com slash voice of wrestling, all three tournaments being covered daily audio. And, uh, we got the first three nights of champion carnival up already with best analysis. You're going to get anywhere. So, and then we're going to, it's good transition. Cause I guess we're going to talk about the champion. Yeah, carnival no, let's do it. Let's do it next. But yeah, the, the N one victory coverage starts this Friday. Now, just to let people know, you know Noah's schedule is very sketchy, and it's not even known wh- when or where all of these shows are airing yet. I am at the mercy of the airing schedule. Okay, I'm going to get Wrestle Universe and make sure that anything that airs on Universe, I'm going to watch in a timely fashion and review. But these shows that are airing like on TV, 
Yeah, you're not getting a satellite dish and fucking throwing your rabbit ears so you can grab, you know, uh, Japanese feeds from from the from the Lanza state. So yeah, no, that's that's not happening. So. I'm at the mercy of uploads. Now I'll be on top of it as soon as they hit, you know. But you know, so if there's a random N one show on a certain date and it hasn't dropped, I can't do anything about that. So that is out of my hands. But you know, I'm gonna watch them as soon as I'm physically able to watch them. What's good? is one of the N1 shows that's airing on TV is also happens to be the show that's on fight. So I could just order that one and watch it. You know what I mean? So you don't have to worry about waiting for the upload on, on that one. And then a bunch of them are airing on universe. So, but there's going to be one or two shows that air on TV where it's like, I, I'm at the mercy of whoever uploads them. I can't do anything about that, but otherwise, you know, champion carnival and G1, obviously um, there'll be no issues with that, with the streaming services and, you know, we're covering every show every day. So just look at the schedules for all three tournaments, and that's when we'll have reviews up. You know, most of the time it'll be me. I'm sure Rich will step in for a couple here or there. He usually does. And um, for the G1 anyway, I'm not going to subject him to uh, parachuting in on this carnival tournament after not watching. Yeah, I watched a match or two, and I think I'm done. Uh, <laughs> so I'll let, you, I'll let you handle the champion carnival there, Joe. $5 tier, though. That's a lot of content. $5 tier. And Absolutely. Then, yeah, there's a ton of stuff in, going on there. In between, you know, you got Rich doing his G1 um, historical stuff, too. So September and October is just a ton of content. And I'm thinking, well, I want to say it on the air, but um, how about a little NFL intelligentsia, Rich? Uh-oh. In the of Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, let's it. go. Yeah. Yeah, you never, you know, I may be able to look. I can't promise it every week, but um, there will be some NFL intelligentsia at some point. Maybe for week one this week. Yeah, we, got, we got a deep dive on the, you know, uh, I've already watched and I'm ready to go as well. So that's even waiting in the wings. Oh, yeah, the deep dive. Yeah, I don't know when I'm going to be able to fucking. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I was, I was going to tell you we should probably have done that deep dive before uh, all this came, but that's all right. Probably. And you it, guys it, are getting it, enough content. We'll use that for a rainy day. So. It's also like 20 plus matches. <laughs> it's a lot of matches, yeah. It might even be a two-parter, that deep dive. But if you're not a subscriber, this is the time to do it. A ton of people jump in during G1 season and then jump out. You know, we obviously have no problem with that if you just want the G1 content. So um, just a little plug a for that. Rich, Champion Carnival. Wow, we're keeping good time here. I think we're going to get to everything. We're doing it. Yeah, we're doing a good job here. Doing a nice job. Um, not to pat ourselves on the back, but yeah. Champion Carnival Ketchup. So we got to, this is good because the next carnival show, <laughs> excuse me, isn't until Sunday. So by the time most people listen to this, this will still be uh, relevant information. Quick update on the standing. Stay in the park. Stay in the park. There you go. Can of corn. I was worried for nothing. Tricky with the sound off because you can't hear the announcer. Oh, you have no idea. Yeah, you have no idea announcer. You can hear the crack of the bat. <laughs> you can only follow the outfielder, and sometimes they don't do a great job. So, Right. So um, A block, very simple. Zeus and Jake Lee are on top with four points each, and everybody else is eliminated barring double DQs and double countouts, which, of course, are zero points. Um, Big Tom Fishy, Tom Fishbeck, and myself both worked our way through all of these scenarios and compared our notes. And came up with the same scenario. So we think that we're accurate. So it'll be Zeus and Jake Lee on top with four points. And obviously their match is probably going to decide who wins the block. Suwama and Jiro are both one and two with two points. And they're both out. And Kuma Arashi is 0-2. And, and is probably going 0-4. And, um, and he's in last place. And he's eliminated as well. So the A block is pretty simple. Zeus and Jake Lee are going to hook it up. 
on the final block day, and it's probably going to decide who advances. The B block's a little trickier. Suji Ishikawa is 2-0 at four points. <laughs> Booker man. He's an- Booker man. And I got something to get into with that in a second. It's even sleazy. It's so funny because I'm, I'm looking at an old, uh, I, I, you know, I was doing for, for the uh, the G1 Climax series, the retro G1 Climax series. I'm looking at Ricky Choshu when he was trying to build up, you know, the Three Musketeers or whatever. He entered the G1 and just lost every time. He's like, no, every I want Hashimoto to beat me. I want Mudo to beat me. I want Shoto to beat me. I'm, you know, he's he's got the book and he goes, no, the next stars, those are the next wave. Suji, Mr. Pencilman over there. No, nah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go two and zero. That's fine. Thanks, Rich, guys. Rich, it gets better <laughs> yeah. because one of his wins was a forfeit over <laughs> Yoshitatsu, but the Yoshitatsu injury might be a work. So, in other words, he gave him, he may have given himself a forfeit win just to give himself a night off. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I do. <laughs> yeah. Because because Yoshitatsu wrestled the next night with like the old taped up back. Right. And it's like highly questionable whether he was really unable to go the night before. It might just be a storytelling device. So he may have not only booked himself to start two and oh, he may have booked himself into a forfeit <laughs> a, on a night off because he didn't want to have go, a night off. He didn't want to go 15 minutes in the ring. So he got himself. A right. Forfeit, he, wrestled, so. nah, he did wrestle a tag that night, to be fair, because they missed a bunch. Of, but I mean, you know, it's hardly like working a single. But anyway. Uh, Yuma Aoyagi also has four points, but he's two and one. So since he only has one more match to go, he's in second place with his four points. Kento Miyahara is in third place with two points at one and one. Yoshitatsu and Shotaro Ashino are eliminated. Yoshitatsu is one and two with two points. And Shotaro Ashino was 0 and two with no points. And again, they are eliminated with asterisk of no double DQs or double countouts, which are rare. They do do them on occasion, but the only way that any of these people who we're calling eliminated can get back in the mix is if there's a bunch of wacky double DQs, and they're not going to do that. So for all intent and purpose, Yoshitatsu and Ashino are out. Now, this is where it gets interesting because on the very next show, we've got a Kento Miyahara versus Yuma Aoyagi match, which they've been building to this whole tournament long, because Aoyagi is teasing doing another turn. Remember, Rich, he turned on Miyahara. <laughs> Earlier in the year and went heel and they had their match. But now like Miyahara saved him from an attack by Enfants and they've been eyeing each other up. So we've been building to this match that's coming up on Sunday and it's an eliminator, a straight up eliminator. You win or you go home. And it's the same scenario for both guys. So that's going to be a super interesting match uh, with, with, with those two guys. And on the same night, we've got, uh, Suji Ishikawa against Ashino, who's already out. Now, Ishikawa could advance <laughs> if Miyahara and Aoyagi draw. Okay? And Ishikawa wins, it's over. So we, we've reached a point in the tournament where someone can advance on the next show in the B block. The A block, Jake Lee is facing Arashi. Zeus is facing Suwama. And no one can, it, it's, it, nobody can lock it up. Okay, because then they could still tie. Like if one of those guys win and the other loses, the other guy can still beat them in the final night and they could finish tied and then have a tie break and then have a tiebreak match. Because remember, all Japan doesn't have tiebreakers. New Japan with the G1, if you finish tied, the head, the head, the head is the tiebreaker. They don't do that in all Japan for the carnival. If you finish tied, you're having another match. So <laughs> A block won't be decided till the final night, no matter what. 
B block could be decided if there's a draw. But more than likely, Ashino is going to upset Ishikawa. Miyahara will probably beat Aoyagi. And I've been predicting Mi- uh, Miyahara to win the tournament all to win the block and win the tournament mm-hmm. all along. And once he lost to Yoshitatsu on the first night, I thought it was a lock he was winning the block. He just wins out now, yeah. Yeah, so I think he'll beat Aoyagi. Ishikawa will get upset by Ishino, which doesn't hurt anything because Ishino's eliminated anyway. And then it comes down to Miyahara, Miyahara versus Ishikawa on the final night. And if Ishikawa puts himself over in that match, <laughs> I'd love it. Because there's no point to that. No. Like, even if it's Aoyagi, that, that like you can't like what? Why would you do that? Like, if they're if Miyahara and Ishikawa are facing each other on the final night, it's going to be for the block. You know, they're keeping it simple because the Jake Lee and Zeus are going to face each other on the final night for the other block. Again, Rich, sometimes we out we overthink these things. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think so, we want them to have more intricacies than they do, and and they usually don't. Like they usually th- that's a yeah. constant thing in the, in the G one, the old G ones. People say, "Hey, I have like an eight way tie for the eight. I'm like, just don't, just don't. That's like that's not going to happen. So just come up with something different. Hey, how do I split a five way tie? Or how do you guys score a, a five way block tie? And I'm like, they they're not going to do that. Like, yeah, pick a winner. <laughs> just pick a winner. Like maybe a tiebreaker if you really want to. Maybe two guys will tie, but probably not. It's probably going to be a guy in the A block that wins and a guy in the B block that wins. I think we so badly want there to be all these you know wheel, but. Many times these Japan tournaments, it's like, nope, that guy won and that guy won. That's it. <laughs> like, it's not, we overcomplicate it, definitely. So I think we're getting Jake Lee and Miyahara in the final. How um, original. Jake Lee, Jake Lee was the trendy pick to win the tournament. He still might. I just, I think they're going to go with Miyahara. Um, but it wouldn't stun me if they went with Jake Lee. I think they should go with Miyahara. Um, but, you know, you know, we'll see. I think Jake Lee's had enough chances. I, I don't buy him as a top guy, and I just... I'm done with him. Um, but I think that's going to be your final. I think that's fairly obvious at this point. What's more interesting is how that Miyahara Aoyagi match goes down and how that story kind of formulates. With Miyahara saving him a couple nights ago. And then Aoyagi watching from the shadows as Miyahara was having his match the next night, which I thought was interesting. And there's a lot of uneasiness between the two because of the history. So, um, there's a lot of cool booking story-wise going through the tournament, but the matches just haven't delivered at all. And and that's been the problem. And even when they got the Cork and Hall for night three, we thought, okay, everyone's going to pick up the pace for Cork and Hall. It wasn't the case. You know, it was another mediocre night. And it's not that the matches are bad or that the work is bad. They're just not. This is the carnival. This is the showcase event of the year. You're supposed to be having your best matches mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, it hasn't been the case that what's, what has concerned me is the lack of effort. Yeah. The effort. Uh, and I can't speak for the entire tournament, but I, I watched, you know, the final two matches that Cork and I watched the Miyahara and Oshino, which was my you know, most anticipated match of the entire tournament. Uh, and then Jake Lee versus Suwama two what I considered on paper. Oh, these are big time matches. This is the biggest, arguably the biggest match in the B block. I think, you know, w- w- without question. And I thought the biggest match on the A block and, you know, they're matches. They're 18-minute matches. There's some leg selling. There's some moves. One guy wins, another guy loses. But it's like, like you said, it was like, all right, when does it kick into gear? And it's like, oh, all right, that didn't kick into gear. But, okay, the main event time, Jake Lee Swell. Oh, oh, all right. No, that's it's just kind of like they were running at a six the entire time. And you're like, let's go, Cork and Hall, Champion Carnival. Like, fucking get into it. Let's go. Let's get some action going here. Oh, but, they- no. They, they won't go. They haven't gone. <laughs> they're just they're, um, they're just matches. They're definitely wrestling matches. I will tell you that. Definitively, they are wrestling matches, but uh, I can't say much more beyond that. I can't really call any of them bad. 
necessarily. No, I, just I, the way that I exist, uh, that, that I described Miyahara and Ashino was, it wasn't as, as bad as it was not good. Like, it was a perfectly res- res- fine wrestling match, but it just wasn't good at all. And it's like, you know, it, it, was it bad? Were there, was there bad work? Was it? No, it was very well worked, but it's like, dude, <laughs> let's go. Like, let's pick up the pace well, here. That's like the second best match of the tournament. That, well, that's what I heard. When I heard that, I was like, oh, I'm not watching the rest of this. Because people said, all right, well, watch that match. And if you don't like that, then you'll hate everything else. And I was like, oh, well, if that's good, then. Yeah, yeah I'm looking for my notes and I can't find them. Okay, here we go. So here's the thing about this tournament. There's been in what? 11, I think 11 matches so far. Four, four, and then three because of the forfeit. At least seven or eight of the matches have been the same exact structure. Somebody works over a body part, the other guy makes a comeback, and then a very abrupt finish off of that comeback. With either the guy making the comeback, completing the comeback, or the other guy just getting a flash win, like out of nowhere. That's been the match structure of like seven or eight of these 11 matches. It's been repetitive, the matches have been short, the finishes have been abrupt, and it's like, it's not just the match length, Rich. If these were a bunch of eight-minute matches that were fucking hot sprints with guys killing each other, we wouldn't be complaining about the match length. We'd be praising it. We'd be saying, this is great. They're getting in. They're getting out. They're having these, you know, great fucking, you know, Tomohiro Ishii-style fucking sprints. And that's what you expect from this roster, and they're not doing that. They're doing these slow-developing matches where they're working a body part, and the other guy makes a comeback, and then somebody hits their finish out of nowhere, and the match is over. And then, you know, the main event goes a little bit longer and, you know, barely cracks three stars. And it's, like, very frustrating to see that kind of lack of effort from these guys. You know, this is all Japan where guys are known to, you know, you expect guys to break some skin and beat the shit out of each other and show some fight and some intensity. There's been no intensity in this tournament at all. The first match that had any intensity was Suwama and Jake Lee, which was the main event of night three. And it took them forever to get to get going in that match. And they finally did. And to me, it's been the best match of the tournament. And even though it was the best match of the tournament, I cannot recommend it to anyone. It's like a three and a quarter, three and a half. St- I think I went three and a half. So I was just so desperate to like anything. You know, because they, they did, you know, the closing stretch was good. And Suwama's intensity was very good in that match. Uh, Lee didn't bring much to the table. But Suwama's intensity was fantastic. And he was slapping the shit out of him. Stinks. But it's like, and I think Ashino's been pretty good, and Miyahara's been pretty good, of course, because he's arguably the best wrestler in the world. But no one's been great. And there hasn't been a standout match yet. And you could excuse that the first two nights when they're wrestling in front of 300 people in, in who the fuck knows where Japan. But when you get to Corican Hall, and you've got Kento Miyahara versus Ashino, and Jake Lee versus Suwama. That was the two big matches I mean, in the two blocks. Like, that's why I watched that show, because I'm thinking, all right, well, this is it. Like, you know, nothing else worked. But we're in Cork, and these are the two big matches, the standout matches of the both blocks. All right, let's go. And hmm. you got to give it, you, you got to have a great match by now in this tournament. I mean, this is a joke. You know, and, 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 and again, it's weird because it's not like the matches are bad, and the, it's not like the work is bad. It's just like this lack of effort and this lack of creativity and just this overall kind of sense of get in, get out. And this is the champion motherfucking carnival. This is where it's supposed to all come together. And this is your showcase event, your showcase tournament. And maybe they just don't feel like taking big bumps and beating the shit out of each other in front of fucking quarter-filled COVID crowds. 
That's the only explanation I can come up for in this thing. Now, the Champion Carnival has been slow to develop the last couple of years. It's a slow – it's a tournament that starts slow and ends strong. That's been the case the last two or three years. The problem with this year is it's only six dates. They don't have time to slow roll this thing. Right. Their... There's not much more to go, guys. So it's now or never. I mean, this is it. And there's no – and there's very little dead weight. It's just the top guys. So there's there's been, like, matches that on paper should have been excellent matches every night. You know, because of the small field and the fact that it's only five nights of block matches. You know, and and we've hit Corkin now, and the effort in Corkin wasn't any better than the effort on the other nights. And it's been very disappointing. Are they telling little stories? They are. Zeus versus Jiro on night three. I didn't even know this when I watched the match. I found this out after the fact. They did a little Twitter angle with each other. And and Jiro said that Zeus was going to gas, and he's just a beefed up steroid guy or whatever. And, you know, he doesn't have anything in his arsenal except for, for chops. You know, and, and he was really ragging on him on Twitter. So what Zeus did is Zeus has been using kind of this neck twister as a finish where he basically just rips the guy's head off. It's actually a really cool finish. I like move. that for Zeus. Yeah, that's a good, good idea. So he puts Jiro in like that neck crank or whatever you want to call it, front face lock. Everyone's calling it something different. And he could have finished them, but he let go of it, and then he beat him with a chop to the face nice. because of the shit that Jiro was talking on Twitter. I didn't know that when I watched the match, so I thought the finish was just absurd and funny. I'm like, why did he let go of this move and to just chop the guy in the head? But then when I found out that they worked a little Twitter angle, I was like, oh, wow, you know, I, that, that makes it kind of a cool finish. So they are doing little things like that, and they are telling this story where Enfants are, you know, being sleazy in Ashino's matches, and they attacked Aoyagi, and this uneasiness between Aoyagi and Miyahara. So there's stuff going on. It's just the matches are not delivering. And they've only got two nights left. I assume the final will be good. But I'm not as confident as I was last week. But what are we going to get between now and the final? You know, those two block deciders. I mean, you know, it's like when Miyahara faces Ishikawa and and Zeus faces Lee to decide the blocks. I'm sorry. Those matches have to be great. <laughs> you would hope, yeah. Espe- no, they have to be, especially with the way the tournament has gone, because at some point they have to deliver here. <laughs> so if not then, then when? So I don't know. Very disappointing from an effort standpoint. And it's not going to take much for the N1 to surpass this thing. I mean, the G1 is going to have more great matches on night one. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say Okada Nabushi is going <laughs> to blow away just about anything uh, going on. Yeah, I, I'd say, you know, as it, we kick off on the 19th, whatever opens that, Will Ospreay and Yujiro has a chance to be better than every champion carnival match potentially. Uh, and if not so, definitely by the time Okada and Ibushi uh, finalize that, the, the night or, the, you know, go in at the end, that should uh, hopefully be uh, settle the score there. Let's hope. Goddamn, if, if this G1 doesn't have, you know, I, do you have any worry? Do you have any worry about G one whatsoever? No. You have none. I, the, okay. You, you think they'll be full full blast? Everybody working their asses off. Everyone's going to work hard. The clap crowds are a concern, but I think the match quality is going to be so good that it's going to overcome the clap crowds. So, um, I think it'll hurt some of the matches, but I think the matches that are supposed to deliver, I think will. The G one's a different animal. I mean, no one's going to like hearing what I'm about to say, but. It, 
Every year, people will tell you, ah, the carnival's going to be better than the G1, the N1 victory. Look at that lineup. And the G1 just beats the living shit out of both of these tournaments every year because it's just the best ro- – it, it's the best roster on earth, and it's just – there's a working standard. And it's just and, – and it's too much depth. There's 19 nights of that fucking thing with the best roster on earth. These other uh, tournaments, you know, even when they're good, they can't compare. They just can't stack up depth-wise. And then, you know, and the best of the best in the G1 is always going to be better than the best of the best of these other tournaments, too. So, no, I'm not really worried about the G1. And I think the N1 can be sneaky good. And I guess that's a decent transition as we set people up for that because that starts on – unless you have anything else to say about the Carnival. Uh, no, no, no. Just that, yeah, I hope I, – I mean, I, I was anticipating sitting down and watching a lot of the Carnival. But, yeah, your reviews, the reviews we've have, had up at VoicesWrestling.com have definitely uh, – you're not alone there. There's not a lot of people thinking that this carnival is really delivering uh, on a major, major level. So I do hope the final nights, because I, do, I, I don't want to hand wave the entire tournament. I don't want to just say, ah, oh, forget it. I'm not going to watch it. But uh, I do hope that, yeah, those finals uh, really do step up because, yeah, it, it would stink to have this tournament, which I think is a pretty good roster and a pretty good lineup, uh, and have it result in, in just really nothing of, of note would be a real huge disappointment. Yeah, you know, they've really got three more chances. Well, four more chances, I think. The, the Kento Aoyagi match, the two block deciders, and the final. Yeah. The, that's the four chances they have. And uh, my confidence level isn't super high based on what we've seen. But um, that restarts again on Sunday. Yep. So um, subscribe. And one starts on Friday. Friday. Yep. September 18th. A block, Goshiozaki, Keito Kiyomiya, Masaki Mochizuki. Masa Kitamiya, Kazushi Sakuraba, and Manabu Soya. Um, the big thing there is I just did a written review, didn't publish it yet, but just did a review of a tag match where Sakuraba tapped out Goshi Ozaki. So that adds a little juice to their match when they get around to it in the end one. Now, Shiozaki's going to win that. But that was a nice little piece of booking because it plants a little bit of doubt when those two guys get in the ring together because uh, Sakuraba tapped him out. Which was a surprising finish because Sakuraba never beats anybody. This guy's supposedly this, you know, uh, you know, world class, super dangerous MMA uh, killer, but he never seems to be like truly presented. Right, that right, <laughs> yeah. You know, but but this was, but I, I really like that tag and I like the finish because for once he finished someone. In yeah, the center of which the is cool. Yeah, that was always the thing that we had issues with in, in, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. It wasn't necessarily Sakuraba himself. Like, I, I think there's a way to use him and utilize him properly. But the problem in New Japan is he was just kind of like a dude that was just kind of there. And you're like, you know, they're talking about how much if he's a killer, but then he would just go out and have like a kind of a standard ass match. Sometimes he'd lose, sometimes he'd win. But it was like, well, yeah, I don't really buy that this guy is like a world class fighter or a guy that can tap you out at any point. So I, no, I, the problem is he would put guys in holds and they wouldn't tap yeah they would just sit there forever and it's like well is this guy really that good <laughs> or not? And that, yeah. that, ki- that kills the gimmick you know so and then let's face it his effort levels aren't always peak mm, you know he's, he's, no. a, he's, he's a lazy guy a lot of the time <laughs> and i get that he's 50 i understand that but anyway i don't mean to, i don't want to bury him i wanted to put him over because he tapped out shiozaki in that six-man tag i think it was the main event of a cork and show so that gives a little intrigue there Plus, you have Keito Kiyomiya, the former champion in that block, and Masaki Mochizuki, who's going to have good matches with everybody. Yeah, right. So that's what's going on in that block. I think Sakuraba tapping Shiozaki adds a little bit of juice to what I think was the lesser of the two blocks because now that match has a little something. 
Would you give a shit about that match before I told you that he tapped him oh, out? Oh, no, no, God, no. I would have yeah, no, definitely I, skipped it. I would have 100% skipped it, so I'm glad you did do that, because now, now I'm thinking about watching it, so. It gives it a little bit of juice. It gives it a little bit of juice. Okay, and then the B block, I think, is the stronger block. Kano, uh, Nakajima, Naomichi Marafuji, uh, Taniguchi, Takashi Sagara, and Inamura. So you've got Kano, Nakajima, and, and Sagara, who are all going to have – that's going to be uh, – all against each other, and then, you know, depending what you get out of Marafuji effort-wise. And Reds win, a little closer to that fridge, Rich. Reds <laughs> win. one nothing. Let me tell you, five in a row. We're, we got a chance at this thing, Rich. We're in the mix. Five in a row, we got a chance at this thing. The White Sox are going to crush our dreams this weekend. I can feel it. Um, so anyway, I think the B block is stronger uh, in terms of match quality. Also, Nakajima just turned on Shiozaki and joined Congo. Yes. So that Nakajima-Kano match becomes very interesting from that aspect. There's a lot of theories. Is Nakajima joining Kano to sort of rot them from the inside? Because Kano just knocked him out in a match for the national title not that long ago. Now Nakajima, what is this? Can't beat him, join him? What's going on here, right? So there's a lot of intrigue there. And Takashi Segura is always a killer. So those would be the three guys and the three key guys in that block, but uh, the N one look it's stacking up. It's looking like a good tournament. I I've watched a lot of Noah in the build up with the fans. Rich, it's safe to jump back in. Okay. I know the no, All right. The no, I know you were super down on the no crowd Noah, and I don't blame you. It's been good. Okay. It's been good. I Rich, I even went notebook on Kiyomiya versus Keiji Muto. I thought that was a four-star. I, I enjoyed the hell out of that match. Um, you know, Muto beat him, which a lot of people had a problem with. Um, you know, the, the, the Marafuji-Shiozaki match, I went notebook. The uh, the the Nakajima-Kano match with the knockout, I, I thought that was a notebook match. Noah has been good with the crowds back. Okay, all right. And I think, and I've watched just about all of it. Don't steer me wrong. <laughs> in the buildup. I'm never and, watching and, again. I'm never watching again if you're wrong, so. I am way more into this tournament after watching all of the shit leading up to it than I was before I watched everything. I'm telling you, they're on a decent. No, you watch. What match did you watch that you really liked? You watched the hour draw. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did enjoy it. So it was that Shiozaki and Kano, uh, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. So I mean, the one match you gave a shot to, and it was an hour draw. On top of that, you were into. I, it was an uphill climb, but yeah, I was. I was definitely into it. So okay, because. I'm just glad the effort level's back with them because I I, I kind of had the same thing that you were thinking about with New uh, with All Japan where it was like all right well, let's let's put some fucking effort into these matches guys let's go let's get the energy because I think we're we're starting to see and we'll talk about it a little bit more with some of the other shows we're talking about people are starting to learn how to work in front of small audiences no audiences realizing what the match types that work what the match types that don't work and Noah was very slow to adapt to that I thought but I'm glad to hear that they they seemingly have and 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 realize that yeah they got to put that extra little oomph into their stuff if if, if they want to to really you know keep my interest yeah. so yeah no 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 it's it's they've been very good in the lead up and i have high hopes for the tournament and being halfway through the carnival and seeing what's left i think it's a pretty safe bet that the n1 is going to deliver at a higher level than the carnival see carnival just simply doesn't have much left like we said they really only have four shots to have great matches and what are the odds all four are going to deliver based on what we've seen so far right you know, and the N1 is coming in hot. And, um, you know, I really like some of the storytelling they've done leading in. Because they've told some stories here since the since we talked about the blocks initially that have kind of added some juice 
to some of these matches. So anyway, that gets started on uh, Friday, and I'm I'm actually pretty excited about it. But um, I don't know what else there is to say until they get going. You have yeah. any other things? Uh, well, no. You got predictions, or what do you think? We're kind of see. I don't have a good feel for Noah booking right now, so I don't know that I'd have like yeah, an educated prediction. Right. It would just basically be saying names without any real reasoning behind that. So uh, I yeah, don't know. So that's not fair. I put you on the spot. Which well, fair. actually, I'm glad I did that. You know, what? I'm honestly glad I did that because now when I do jump back in, I, I sometimes I like kind of taking a break from a promotion for a little while and then jumping back in and being like, hey, you know, and seeing the building blocks because sometimes when you obsess and just watch everything. You don't get surprised. You don't have that same intrigue. Like, there's nothing better than discovering a new promotion, discovering new wrestling. Like, that happened to us with, like, Australia, where we, like, discovered Australia. And we're like, holy shit. Or, or many, many years ago, discovering, like, European wrestling. It's, like, awesome when you can do that. So I'm kind of glad that I did take that break from Noah. And now I'm coming in at, at, at presumably a pretty hot period without knowing really what's going to happen. So I have those, you know, shows to kind of help me get back into it and, and just kind of follow along and see what happens as it goes on. So I really have no preconceived, like, thoughts or, or, or predictions of who's going to win, So which is cool. I think that um, Kiyomiya has been laying in the weeds for a while now since he lost the title. It's interesting that, you know, and he even lost to Muto, like I said. Um, you know, Mochizuki's not winning the block as an outsider. And, and the other three, Kitamiya, Sakuraba, and Soya, they're not, uh, they're obviously not going to win the block. So it comes down to Shiozaki and Kiyomiya. And what's the point of, of Shiozaki coming out of the block? Right. So that just screams to me that Kiyomiya is going to beat Shiozaki in the key match in that block and advance to the final, which means he's a threat, you know, to win the whole tournament, obviously, at that point. Because if he beats Shiozaki, you know, that, that that can set up a title match either way. Whether he wins the tournament ultimately or loses in the final, he, he'll have a, a win over Shiozaki. And then the other side, you know, obviously, it's just screaming to come down to Kano and Nakajima and whatever's going on between those guys. So, you know, I'm going to go with Kiyomiya in the A block. And since Kano just, I'll go with Nakajima in the B block. Two guys, really, who were like the last two champions. Yeah. And it kind of just, you know. And then from there, you know, with Shiozaki as champ and Nakajima just turning, why not say, why not go with Nakajima here? Right? And then he challenges his former Axis partner. In the title match. And I think Nakajima is primed for another run. Absolutely. I think it's time. I think we're definitely at time. He's, he's a completely different character, different transformation, yeah. different worker, different everything than he was uh, the last time. So, yeah, I, I think the name might be the same, but the, the, the fresh coat of paint on, on him is it will definitely make it feel new and, and, and unique for sure. He is nothing like the dry baby face <laughs> no. that he was in that failure of a run. And let's call it what it was. I love the guy, but that, that you know, business failure. Uh, you know, one of the worst Noah GHC runs ever, you know, and, and he just has completely reinvented himself. So, and, and, you know, I think the way I laid it out makes sense, but we'll see. Um, But I expect the effort level to be better. And Noah just has a certain match style right now. It's just nasty. It's vicious. And it's, it's fun. Now it could be a drag when the matches go too long. And the fans aren't into it, but when these Noah matches have landed late recently, they've all they've all been very very good. So I've got high hopes coming into this thing. All right, so let's talk about another tournament going on. We'll move to America now, the ROH Pure Title Tournament. Joe, I don't know what have you have you watched the uh, the first night? 
Yeah, I did. I watched it today. Okay, so ROH Pure Title Tournament. Um, oh, this fucking rocks so much. First, before we talk about what actually happened on that first night, let's talk about the rules. They gave us rules immediately. We, if, if for people that did not watch it, it is free on ROHWrestling.com. Uh, it's free on Fight. Uh, there's many other methods to watch this. This, And I think no excuses. Watch this. It's like 50 minutes. You hit play, you get 50 minutes of, 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 of solid either action or great videos, profile pieces. We'll talk about those uh, here in a sec. But we start out, we get Quinn McKay. Who, yeah, who, every, every, every episode of ROH TV is free on fight. You just click and play. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people know that. They, I don't think they do, and I don't think Ring of Honor does a great job of telling you that either. They're also up on ROHWrestling.com, too. You just go to ROHWrestling.com slash, I think it's like, latest TV show, and it like pops up right away, and you're like, oh, okay, like... Because it's a mess to figure out if it's going to show up on your yeah. Like sometimes I get it like a quarter of the time on some weird channel that that almost barely exists on my on my on my network. So my DVR has stopped picking it up. I mean, it hasn't recorded it since July. So, um, you know, but but it's very easy to watch in these other places. So give me a rule, and I will quickly react to it. Very similar to the old pure rules, but a little different. Yeah. Oh, there's one rule. Oh, Joe, this one rule felt like it was for us. That lizard man, yes. <laughs> who has been in our DMs before, in character, which is the best part about it. He finally gave that up, though. Like, you know, oh, that's right, he did. Yeah, but he would be like, "His Scott." Ah, nah. <laughs> like, what are you asking? Like, right. He'd be like, I mean, "Oh yeah, it, here's here's the story." Yeah, his his. I'm like, okay, thank you. Like, and then do the web translates <laughs> right, and then English. <laughs> and then finally, he just dropped it, and it's just like. When we have a question, he just kind of yeah. answers it. So, yeah, so anyway, which, which is good. But thank you. He, he listened to us with this one. So anyway, before we talk about the profile piece, all this sort of stuff, Quinn McKay goes over the rules of the ROH Pure Title Tournament in 2020. So this is a return. This thing hadn't been crowned. I think 2005, 2006. Was Brian Danielson and, and Nigel McGuinness had a match in Europe that unified the titles, and the Pure Title went away after that. So it's very similar to the original one, but a little bit different. So, okay, first rule we have for the ROH Pure Title Tournament: every match begins and ends with a Code of Honor handshake. Old school rule. Fine with me, man. That, I love it. That's from the old school. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the things that, that that attracted me to ROH in the first place was that every match started with a handshake. Some people found it lame. Some people found it stupid. But what was great about it, and and credit to Gabe as always, is it added it added a, an extra level of heat that a heel could could capitalize on. Yes. That ninety yeah. percent of the time people would shake hands, but that one guy who wouldn't shake a hand, fuck that dude. That guy's an asshole. He was immediately a heel. And well, that's how wrestling works. <laughs> like, well. Christopher Daniels yeah. refused to respect the code of honor in the early days and a built-in instant storyline. Yes, so Easy simple. Stuff. <laughs> it's like, well, that's how rules in all of wrestling used to be. And then when you didn't follow the rules, it was like, well, fuck this guy. Now we've lost that. We've lost complete sight of that, but it's such an easy storyline thing to do. If you just have most people follow the rules, then a few people don't follow the rules. Those few people that don't stand out. It's, it's not hard, but anyway, so every match begins and ends with a code of honor handshake. Your thumbs up on there. I'm thumbs up on that. All right. That's where it gets a little complicated. I know you weren't a, a, a huge fan of the original ROH Pure, and I kind of agree with you in, in, in one respect, but we'll talk about this one. Uh, each wrestler has three rope breaks to stop submission holds and pinfalls. After a wrestler exhausts his rope breaks, submission and pin attempts uh, on or under the ropes by his opponent are legal. So once you use those three rope breaks, the dude can put you in a headlock, he can put you in a submission, whatever he wants to do, he can do it no matter what. You can grab the ropes, you can be under the ropes, you can be anywhere. It's not going to be a break. So once you break those three... Uh, rope breaks, all bets are off, and they can do whatever they want, basically, submission-wise. So, are you cool or not cool with the three-rope break rule? The 
No, yeah, that's the old school pure yeah. rules. I, I think, I think you can tell an interesting story in the match if you utilize that rule correctly and wisely. So sometimes they, it doesn't factor into the match. Other times the wrestlers incorporate it. Like we saw with Jay Lethal in his match that we're going to talk about right there on the first night against um, who did he wrestle? Dalton Castle. Yeah. Out of instinct, he grabbed for a rope break in the first minute of the match. And you could see that he regretted it. And Dalton Castle was like mocking him. You know, because he was like, oh, man, you I burned one of my rope breaks on a hold that never would have tapped me out because I just lost my head. And even the commentators were talking about that. Yeah, so. and, and, and you can utilize it the way that Wheeler, Yuta, and, and, and Gresham utilized it, too, where Yuta was like, I'm just going to use this right away because, like, if, if Gresham, you know, if I try to stay in this hold, I'm against Jonathan Gresham. He could tap my ass out in two seconds. So it's like, no, yeah. let me let me get to the ropes and let me break it. That's a that's a, a wise use of it is, hey, like, it's similar to, you know, in, a, in an Iron Man match or whatever. Like, hey, look, you know, just I'll take the fall here because I don't want to or I'll tap out to the submission early in the match because or, or, you know, the best two out of three falls, you know, concept too. where like, you know, yeah, I'll take the fall here because if this guy if I sit in this lock for, you know, 10 minutes or whatever, my knee's going to be ravaged or whatever. So it's like, you know what? Not nah, tap out, grab the rope, whatever. It's OK. So. A lot of ways that you can use it, and, and you're absolutely right. The problem with the ROH Pure is that some people were good at the style, and some people were bad at the style. The people that were good at the style, it was awesome. They told the story well. The three rope breaks all played a part, and then there were some guys that just went in there and had like normal ass matches. And it was like, oh well, that you know, you could just have a normal ass match without these rules. But uh, no, the ones that were good uh, utilize these rules uh, properly. So uh, you're, you're Brian Danielson types, which is not a surprise because he's great at everything he does. So, well, that Nigel McGuinness would cheat in these matches for heat. Yes, exactly. Which you're not going to be able to do this time around. For- no. Yeah, we'll talk about that in yeah. a sec. So, uh, close fist punches to the face are not permitted. Only open-hand slaps or chops to the face are allowed. Uh, punches to other parts of the body are permitted, excluding low blows. The first use of a closed fist will get a warning. The second will get a disqualification. Yeah, so I can totally see somebody at some point in the tournament punching someone in the face behind the referee's back. Yeah, Silas and, Young and, is a hundred percent punching Fred Yehi in the face with the referee's back turned for sure, and it being the turning point of a match. Yeah, so there's interesting ways. All of these rules are just devices to tell stories, yes. and, <laughs> and which and, is what rules in wrestling are. We've lost the yes. plot. Like that's what yeah. the rules are for. That's why rules are good in wrestling because you break them and then you get heat. Like it's it's so simple. And just 2020 wrestling has lost the plot with just, yeah, go out there and do whatever the fuck you want. Who the hell cares? Like, no, make those stories. You can tell so many stories. We just, with every one of these rules, you could tell a different story in a different match. Everybody can have it. It's just, it's so obvious and so easy, but people don't don't do it. So, all right. Uh, As in standard ROH matches, there will be a 20 count when wrestlers on the floor. That one, whatever, you know. Yeah, well, they're just telling you you could have count outs. So. And Lizard Man, listen to us with this one. Outside interference will result in automatic termination from the roster for the wrestler that interferes. You run out, you're fucking on the street, pal. Get out of here. Go home. Yeah. You're fired. Yeah, go enjoy death matches in fucking Indianapolis, pal. You're done. Yeah. I don't know who that's a shot at, but I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, But yeah, you're fired. That's great. It's just telling you, listen. You're not getting fucking Bullet Club bullshit here. You're getting clean finishes. You're not getting – well, you may not get clean finishes, but you're not getting outside interference finishes. So it just sets the table for that. You know, I don't – you know, there's – you could have a scenario where maybe a guy who's not a full-time part of the roster 
tries to get crafty and then you quote unquote fire them. But I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're just telling you you're not going to get outside interference here. Yeah, it's just their best way to say it. Like there, there's again, people will cheat, people will do stuff as we said, but it will all be in the context of you know, or, or, you know, breaking these rules or whatever. But yeah, what it tells you is expect like you know when you're watching in a match, you can invest in the match because the mat it, it will be the match will be a result of one man either being better than the other guy or out wrestling the other guy or outsmarting the other guy. It won't be because a dude runs out. And and I love that. I love that they just add that little thing to let you know, give you confidence that you are investing 10 to 15 minutes in these matches and you are going to get a result of your investment, which is perfect. Because right. the thing I, I cannot fucking stand about New Japan Strong or any of these things, it, the evil stuff is waiting 30 minutes for some guy to come out with a wire. And it's like, oh my God, what did I just wait 30 minutes for? You know, the classic yeah. WWE Nitro thing where everybody just stands up and looks at the entranceway. Like, all right, <laughs> like right, let's go get the guy out so we can get this thing over with so uh, yeah. i like that they're doing that so uh the other rules uh, not we can just kind of rapid fire through those there will be two blocks single elimination format uh round one matches have a 15 minute time limit block semifinals have a 20 minute time limit block finals have a 30 minute time limit uh the tournament final has a one hour time limit there will be three judges for each match and time limit draws will go to a judge's decision so all right let's talk about the blocks and then the two matches that were on the first night so block a uh, first round matchups are Jay Lethal versus Dalton Castle. We saw that on episode one. We'll talk about that in a sec. So uh, they're calling these blocks, but don't be confused. It's a it's a single elimination. Ladder exactly. Tournament. Yeah, it may as well just be a ladder tournament. But they're, yeah, so for whatever reason, they're using the verbiage of blocks. I, I don't know why. Yeah, there's no need to, but that's fine if they want to. So uh, Jay Lethal versus Dalton Castle, uh, David Finley versus Rocky Romero, Fred Yehai versus Silas Young, Tracy Williams versus Rust Taylor, who people have seen from uh, New Japan Strong. Uh, otherwise, not a, not a ton of other like super surprise. I think Fred Yehai is, is a great addition to the Pure uh, Tournament. Uh, Finley comes in also from New Japan for wrestling. Uh, Rocky Romero also from New Japan. It's basically just available guys. Guys that are in this country, good wrestlers that are in this country and available. Uh, and that's essentially what you're filling out the you know the A block with. But uh, let's talk about Jay Lethal versus Dalton Castle first. That was on uh, episode one. Uh, what you think of this match, and most importantly, what you think of the profile pieces uh, before the matches? I think those are going to be the standouts of this show because from the moment you start this tournament, you get Quinn McKay goes over the rules and then you go into promo packages. Jay Lethal talking about how he wanted the pure title. He's, you know, trying to get back to where he was when he first came into the, 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 the company. Yeah. He's done a bunch of stuff, but he wanted that, that title. He's got that title on his mind. He's always been thinking about that title. And then I thought so far, my favorite piece that they've told so far was Dalton Castle being like, yeah, I'm flamboyant. Yeah, I got all this, but I'm a goddamn good pro wrestler. I was a fucking champion in high school, a champion in college. I'll beat your ass. Like, I, I God, I love that. A champion at beach wrestling. Beach wrestling. I, I never heard of beach wrestling before. I, I will not lie that I Googled beach wrestling immediately afterwards. And then he said, oh, by the way, I'm also a former world champion. Yeah. So I'm really great at this, you know. And then um, the there was not a lockup on this show until 22 minutes into the hour. So the explanation of the rules, the personality profiles, I mean, this just felt so different than every other kind of pro wrestling that's out there. And look, you can't do this on Wednesday nights if you're AEW or NXT because we – these would – this stuff, unfortunately, we channel changers. And we know that because they've – They've shown us that data, and anytime there's not a match going on, people are flipping over to check the other show. So it's like, but ROH can get away with doing this. They're not going head-to-head -head with anybody. Their show is on demand. And, God, this was a refreshing 
breath of fresh air for a pro wrestling presentation. I don't want all my pro wrestling to be like this. Rich, I think that's where people get us wrong. I don't want all of my pro wrestling to be like this, but it's nice that there is some that is that that is like this. Yeah, exactly. And I'd like more of this kind of pro wrestling interweaved with I just want less silliness. I don't want a elimination of all silliness and fun. It's just right now there's just feels like that's what we're being overwhelmed with. So something like this is just such a nice change of pace. And even New Japan Strong outside of the Kenta matches have been a nice change of pace. I enjoy that hour every Friday night. You know, and 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 this present these personality profiles, man, were they great. And it just it gets the wrestlers over in a whole new way. And um I can't praise them enough. And I am so looking forward to the rest of them. You know, especially for guys I don't know much about. I want to see Rust Taylor talk about himself. Yeah, and 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 the cool thing is like, and and I I honestly think like, yeah, you're saying like AEW can't do this and NXT can't do this. I so they I, I don't think they can do it quite like you said they can't go 22 minutes or whatever. But I think it's a lost art in all of pro wrestling is these type of personality pieces. And maybe you can't do it on on Wednesday nights on TNT or whatever. But goddamn, you got YouTube channels. You have Twitter. You got tell the story. Tell me why I should care about this man. Tell me just and and the best part about these and anytime anytime companies do these, the best part is you don't have to come up with a story. Most of these people have interesting stories on their own. The most interesting we talked about Cruiserweight Classic. Remember how we raved about the Cruiserweight Classic because it was hit record. All right, T.J. Perkins, talk about your life. Yep. Ten minutes, boom. Okay, you know, five minutes. That's it. It's all you need. Like uh, the the Mayo well, Classic right has that same thing that, too. That Jay Lethal wants to be the first two time pure yeah, champion. That's it. We know like, that now. Yeah. What's what's your story? What, what's your story? What's your motivation? Why are you here? And what do you want to accomplish? The end. That's all you need. And if you give every one of these wrestlers, every pro wrestler in the world, you give them those bullet points, they can cut a fucking five minute promo, a two minute promo, a two minute video package, or whatever about themselves. And 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 again, you don't have to get crazy. Doesn't be nuts stories. Just. The guy can add a little bit of storyline flavor and a little bit of real flavor like Dalton Castle did, where he says, I'm this shit, you know, I did this, I did this and this. Oh, yeah, and I was also Ring of Honor World Champion. So I'm a tough dude and I'm really good at what I do. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's not hard. It's so simple. And I think all pro wrestling does, does not utilize this enough. And we'll talk about a show where I think this could have been used a lot, you know, could have been used to kind of tell the story for people that might not know. Um, and, and they just didn't do it. But I thought this was incredible where, where you just, you know, in five minutes, what these guys want to do, what their motivations is, and, and their background. So, if you've never heard of Jay Lethal before, you've never heard of Dalton Castle, even if you have heard of him, you got a whole new perspective uh, on what's motivating them in this tournament. So, no, that's the thing. That's like it adds a whole new dimension to these guys that you might even be tired of. Yeah, I've never been in a Dalton Castle at all, but I was like, let's go, man, beach wrestling. Let's, <laughs> my man. Like, we're gonna talk about a guy in the B block who I always thought was a geek. We've buried him on the show multiple times. I was fucking ready to. Go. I was like, dude, yes, let's go, Wheeler Yuta. Let's like, let's go. Like we'll, we'll we'll jump to the B block with his 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 well I, I guess uh, the the Jay Lethal Dalton Castle match. Do you have any huge feedback on the match? I thought it was well worked. I mean it, it's solid as fuck wrestling. <laughs> like there's nothing more to say. No, I think the, the match was fine. I mean I thought the the personality profiles were actually better than the match and more interesting than the match itself. The match was well worked though, and you had Lethal making that mistake early and using up his rope breaks early. And uh, yeah, no, it was it was very well worked. But I would expect these two to go out there and have a very well-worked match, especially, you know, in this style 
you know, so, uh, yeah, it, it was fine. It was nothing that, you know, rocked my world or anything, but it was, it was good. Yeah. And, and it's fine. That's like, honestly, that's all I really want out of TV wrestling. We talked about with NWA when NWA was, was often firing is I'm fine. dude. If you want to occasionally have a match that really stands out or build up to, you know, the final should be good. The semifinal should be good. But if you're regular, you know, uh, you know, tournament matches are just like good matches, fine, man, that's fine with me, man. I don't care. Make the person. I just want to be into the personalities. I want to be into the story and into, into that. That to me is a bigger hook. Then every single one of these matches having to be, you know, a, a four star plus classic or whatever. It, it doesn't have to do that. Like, make me care, get me the point, let me know who won, who lost, and then when we get to the finals, we get to the semifinals and stuff. That's when you then break out the the, the big guns. No, I don't need matches. I don't need great matches to be entertained in pro wrestling. I I need you know you need you don't you don't want bad matches. But you know, TV wrestling doesn't have to be loaded with four star no, matches. No, be- no. Go watch a good old, a classic six oh five. It's great promo, great promo, great promo, squash match, great promo, good promo, squash match, promo, and then a main event that was solid. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was fine. It was Hopefully, a- yeah, and yeah. on a good episode. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. You know, and it's, uh, you know, yeah. That's exactly that. It, it's a different dynamic than a pay per view or something where you're like, okay, I want to see the best of the best now. You know. Um, so a match like this was was perfectly fine for this episode of TV. You get a bunch of great matches. That's a bonus. Yeah, for sure. Uh, then we go to the B block there. We had Jonathan Gresham, Wheeler Yuta. We had the two videos. The Gresham video was, was solid, but the Wheeler Yuta video, I, this is a guy I've never been into Wheeler Yuta. I've always thought he was kind of a geek, kind of a dork. Dude, in five minutes, he told his entire life story, and I, I was all in on this guy. I love him. <laughs> yeah, how do you not love this guy? Like, I didn't know you were a big Wheeler Utah hater, but okay. No, we we but, joked uh, about him in the past. We just kind of said he looked like a geek, and we always said like his name was cooler than his his wrestling. Yeah, he, I don't, I don't, I don't remember picking on him. But yeah, I'll I mean, take we picked on him back in the back right. in the day. We just, he just wasn't like to me. I just had no reason to care. He was just this guy that came out in this weird gear and like, you know, you know what I remember now was his MLW stuff. We were yeah. kind of like, yeah, he's just wasn't really. You know, yeah, I, yeah, you're right. Because they never but, told uh, this story. They told this story in, in five minutes. I was all in a Wheeler Yuta. Right. It's a different. Well, there you go. That's the difference between just being a guy on the show and telling us who the guy is on the show. This is speaking to your point right here. So, yeah. You know, his his he was basically just like you know I've I, I I've always wanted to be a pro wrestler. I've always wanted to get in the ring, and I, I trained at an early age, and you know I adapted. I went to Japan, and my mom was you know half Japanese, and I learned you know, and there he is running up steps, and there he is you know doing push ups and and sit ups all you know next to the Buddha statue. It's it's like again, it was awesome stuff. It lets you know the journey that this guy has been on to get to this point. And he's like, now I'm here, and now I'm proving myself against one of the best in the world, and Jonathan Gresham, or I'm gonna you know prove to him and prove to the world that I belong and all this. It's like, dude, how do you not root for this guy? And then Jonathan yeah. Gresham's just like I'm fucking good. I'm gonna beat everybody. <laughs> like it's like all right, cool. There we go. Like, yeah. And and then the match. I thought this was the better of the two matches. Oh, for sure. Blew it away. Yeah, blew it. Away. Get out. Get out. <laughs> Hold on one second. <laughs> That's fine. Slide. He's safe. I'll take that too. Oh, home run would have been nice, but I'll take that too. I'm having a good night, Rich. Um. Man, I'm not going to start adding the money in my head, but I'm having a good night. Is the, is, are you going to um, look at fridges tonight, or do you have one in mind for your? I'm, I got the fridge covered. <laughs> okay, so you just need to click the shot, the the checkout, right? Now I'm stocking it. Um, oh man, six inches. Anyway, um, I thought this was the better of the two matches. Um, the finish in particular. God, Gresham. I mean, he was jumping up and just driving that knee into Utah's leg. And then um what what 
what was it that had Utah tapping? After he drove his knees into his leg, he just kind of like um, cranked back on his leg and had him tapping out. I mean, that whole sequence was so vicious and so not what you see in a standard pro wrestling match. It's it's they they clearly worked the whole match to that style and then worked the finish to the style. And I never saw anybody do what Gresham did in the closing moments of that match, where he was just doing those those knee drops to the leg and then. And then uh, uh, you know, Utah just couldn't hack. Take I, I want to say, and and, and so people can correct me if I'm wrong. I think Utah tapped just from Gresham throwing his knee into the fucking mat twenty that's, times yeah. in a row. I think he was just like, I'm done. <laughs> like, just, oh, that's what it was. I don't I, know if he ever cranked it in. I don't know if he actually ever put a submission on. It. I think he just fucking no, 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 slammed his knee in the ground for ten times. Yeah, I thought of it. He was driving the knee into the legs. Then he was picking up the leg and just yes. driving it into the mat. <laughs> right. I thought he tapped from that. That's why I couldn't think of the submission because there wasn't one. Yeah. He was picking up the man's leg and just driving in the <laughs> knee into the mat until Utah was just tapping out for, like frantically. Holy shit, did that finish rule? Yeah. Good God, that ruled. Did you, did, so, you, did you even notice that there weren't any fans? I, I was going to say, Not I all, I, this is going to sound crazy. This is going to sound crazy. I heard a crowd when Crush was throwing him down. I swore I heard a crowd. Rich, this is going to sound nuts. I almost think it helps. I almost think it helps for this style of wrestling. Well, it's wrestling. like a little dojo pro, like dojo wrestling type thing, where we're just guys in here, we're just going to grapple and figure out who the you know the better grappler is. It makes sense that they would just show up at a, you know, a gym and fight one another. Yeah, it, it, it's, it almost adds to the ambiance yeah. of it all. You know, I'm not going to go as far as to say I, I, I'd rather not have the fans. I'd obviously rather have the fans there. But there's almost an element to it where it's just these guys showing up to a fucking gym to have this tournament with no bullshit and figure out who the best wrestler is. Yeah, and they don't and have to be showy. Need- they don't have to look to a crowd. Yeah. They get in the ring. They put their gear away, and they look at the other guy. The bell rings, and they fight. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Dalton Castle didn't have boys with him. He wasn't strutting around like a peacock. You know what I mean? It was like the stripped down environment almost it works for this, you know? So of I'll, I'll frame it this way for all of the empty arena wrestling. I've seen it worked the best for this. I'll say that it was less of a distract. It was less of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Just detractor for this. than it has been for any of the other empty wrestling arena wrestling. I've seen. Sure. So that's that. So as we said, other other ones we're going to get David Finley, Rocky Romero. I think the Rocky Romero uh, profile piece is out. I think you can you can watch that one right now. It is predictably great <laughs> as well because Rocky Romero how again. About the, how about what we talked about last week? We're getting Delirious versus Matt Seidel in a re, in like a uh, St. Louis independent wrestling. Yeah, game. I'm very curious how the video packages for that one is going to go. That one, we'll see. I think I, I I could see Seidel's. I have no fucking I no idea what Delirious's promo package is going to be like, but. Maybe I mean, maybe maybe, right. maybe strips it off a little bit and just says like, look, you know, I'm fucking, I can fight too, or I don't know, I, I'm very curious how it goes. I I don't know if it was in our Discord or on Twitter, but um, it definitely wasn't my thought, so I don't want to take credit for it. But unfortunately, I can't credit because I don't remember who said it. You think Delirious has taken the spot of uh, Party Marty here? Yeah, I think so. I think Party Marty would have been in this thing. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think Lizard Man. Was uh the was it was a choice for the ROH Pure Title Tournament? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think when uh, noted rule follower Delirious, <laughs> yeah, that's... 
I think when Party Marty tiptoed his way out of the spotlight here, um, that I think then maybe they figured out, oh, well, if Delirious is going to take his place, let's stick him in there with Seidel. A little yeah. history. Delirious is sneaky in that way. Remember every year he'd wrestle Gato in Cork and Hall? Yes. Sort yeah, of yeah, as yeah, a yeah, wink. Yeah. Little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We're the Booker men, and we're going to wrestle each other. That's kind of what this is. You know, I'm going to get in there with a, with a guy I came up with. I've wrestled him a million times in front of no fans. So why not wrestle him in front of no fans in this tournament? And, uh, you know, but I, I, I find it hard to believe he would have been an original pick. <laughs> no, I think he was there, and they decided, all right, well, Lizardman, you're up. So, and, and I guess they didn't want to, you know, because they have alternates as well if somebody, you know, gets hurt or gets COVID or something Oh, like that, I'm so. glad you brought that up. That's, that's the other thing. They're like, if anyone drops out for any reason, there's no buys. We've got alternates. Yeah, you still got to fight. You're not getting through without a fight. So they got guys at the ready to step in uh, for this thing too. So yeah, I'm into it. It's something else to watch. The production was about... the production value itself was awesome too, and we'll talk about that with a few other shows yeah, as well. But really I thought good. yeah, the, the video quality was good, the the sound quality was good, everything was good. It was just like it looked like a professional operation. It looked like yeah, it was in a, d- a decent sized arena that was lit well. It's just like yeah, it, it's people are getting it. People are are unfortunately understanding how to do you know arena wrestling. I I hope for not much longer, but uh, yeah, they're, they're they're getting it. So it's cool. Yeah. All right, so then two more shows we're going to talk about here. Uh, we got about a half an hour left. Where do you want to? Uh, where do you want to start? We got Rev Pro and we got United Wrestling Network's Primetime <laughs> Live, baby. At the mute, yeah, I was coughing. The <laughs> um, let's do Rev Pro Epic Encounters too. I, I watched this, and um, you know, I, I raved about Epic Encounters one, and I thought this was even better. I thought they followed it up with an even better show. I had three notebook matches on this on this show, and I know you only saw about half of it. But um, what three matches did you watch? You said you watched three. Uh, matches. So I watched the final three. I watched Osprey versus Nguyen, uh the uh, the uh, Priestley Hater, yeah, the women's tag, and then the, uh, the 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 unification main event. So okay, so the best match on the show is Mark Haskins versus JJ. I heard that. Yeah, I heard that after I watched. So I, I will have to go back and check that out. I was blown away by how great this was. I had never seen JJ Gale before. And Haskins is a guy who has really – he was really coming on before Ring of Honor shut down. I was really enjoying a lot of his work. And he's not a guy that I particularly had any fondness for um, previously. I thought he was, you know, an okay wrestler when I'd see him now and then. But he really was coming on strong in ROH. And my God, did he – and I'm going to give him the credit because he's the veteran. But he carried this Gale kid to a fucking awesome match. I went four and a quarter on this match. And I, I was flirting with four and a half, but I didn't have the guts to do it. Um, just constant action, 13 minutes that felt like six minutes. Um, one of those kind of matches. Uh, you know, no, just, you know, constant action. I don't want to give away too much of it since you didn't see it. But what a tremendous match that was. And this show just got off to a great start right off the bat. The one thing I, I will say, you mentioned production values. That's not the case here. This is like... Okay, I should. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> they, I will say, on a different scale, I think they do an incredible job. They, they, because it's not that hard. You get a fucking light, you get a camera that was made this decade, you get a few curtains, and you're ready to go. Here's my problem. Why is it so fucking smoky in that? In that's that just room? that's just Brit Rest style, baby. I, I can't tell you why they the Brit Rest companies love smoke. I don't know why. Riptide loves smoke. Oh. Rev Pro loves smoke. Progress used to love smoke. I enjoy it to an extent, but it is 
very smoky in that building. So, yeah, you know, that's my one issue. Like the production's fine on it on on the, but it's like the it's this room is just like full of fucking smoke. Like they're setting off, like like guys are coming out the pyro, but that's not the case. Just filled with smoke. Uh, but th- that's my only issue with that because I don't want to bury it because the production itself is okay. The graphics and the, the the you know all of that I don't have a problem with. But off we go. This show from the awesome opener right through the main event. I thought every match was either good or better. And this was one of the best no crowd shows I've seen in the entire COVID era because these are no crowd shows. They taped them all in bulk. Uh, who knows when? We talked about that last time. We don't need to get into that again. Holy shit did this show rule. And they're going to keep getting my money as long as these shows are this good. Oh, yeah. Every and match they- matters. Every result matters. Every pin matters. Every move matters. It's like, yeah. They're they're building up so many matches. Will Ospreay already has two matches in the future ready to go uh, after this. You know, he, he talked about it after he beat Newman. You got, like, the women's got their... The, 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 they have a nice little story being told there with, you know, both those girls going after Giselle Shaw's title and kind of the feud between them. But Aaliyah James and, and Jamie Hayter and Bea Priestley and Giselle Shaw have their own little thing going. You got, you know, Ricky Knight Jr. Who, who's trying to prove himself and move up the ladder... Uh, presumably move up to heavyweight because he's going to face Will Ospreay, who we challenged the other night. You got Michael Oku turning heel in the main event. Like, dude, there's in, in five, six matches, they've told like 10 stories. It's like it's exactly to what we were talking about last week, where like a lot of wrestling companies don't book anymore. They just have matches. They don't, they don't yeah. book. They don't tell stories. Ref Pro can't help but tell stories. They have like 15 matches set up for the next three weeks. It's like, Jesus Christ. This... Everyone's related. Everyone has something going on with the other guy, and it's, it's perfect. This is the best indie in the world right now, and it's not even close. They are lapping the field. That's how great these shows are. This one in particular. Um, everything, Rich, the stuff you didn't watch. Brendan White and Kenneth Halfpenny. Is there a more British name than Kenneth Yeah, Halfpenny? Kenneth Halfpenny is aggressively British. But... So these are contenders, and you know they're young lions or whatever. And they had a match. Uh, this is like their second match. And, and Halfpenny like, is tempted to take shortcuts but won't. Brendan White is more than willing to take the shortcut if he, if, if if the opportunity presents itself. So they even have this story going where half Penny cut a promo. He's like, "You, you, you there's a bullshit win. You know, you're cutting corners out here, and uh, I'm just trying to be the better man." So even in like the contender matches, they're telling. Yeah, little they, story. I'm telling you, they they're they're like <laughs> they're just they're telling too many stories. I'm like, oh man, like every time I'm like, oh yeah, this guy did that and that guy. Like I love it, dude. More of this. It's 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 not hard either, Joe. It's not hard. It's just. Have a match result matter. Write it down and say okay. This and just have a little bit of a. High, it's yeah. It's not that. And hard this is what we're doing. This is our direction. Dan Maloney's been on fire. This guy, I'm telling you, is going to be a star. And he beat Joel Redman here. And you would expect these two to have a very good match, and they did. But unfortunately, at a, on like a six match show, this is like the fifth best match because this show fucking ruled. So we get into the stuff where you can jump in, and we have Willow Spray versus Callum Newman. Oh my God. Teacher versus student. How fucking oh awesome. My God, this was great. The first, I was talking about it at the beginning of the show. The first minute is these guys doing kind of the, the, the typical like fish out of water spot. Like you'd see, you know, the Dimalinko, Eddie Guerrero thing, you know, the classic where like they, you know, they know each other's moves and they're bouncing out of the way. But I'm telling the, the way that they do this is, is better than I've ever seen it done before. They, I swear to God, they do 20 things in a minute, counter it each. And it's just the precision, the speed at which they do that is fucking next level. It's incredible. Yeah, he, you know, and you can't say enough about Ospreay. He's just, he's I think best. he's the best, he's the best, I think he's the best the wrestler in the world. Yeah, I no, do. I think he's the best wrestler in the world. I was a little worried when I saw those pictures of him in quarantine and he looked like he put on like 35 pounds of pure muscle. I was like, ah, dude, I don't know if he's, he could fly just as well. He's fine. He's perfect. So, But forget him because 
he's going to have a big G1 and all that. This Newman, he's, he's still good. a teenager. Yeah, what is he, like 17 years old or something? He's a, Yeah, he's like 17. Oh, no, uh, that's not good because he's really good. <laughs> he's so good. And a point I've been making, and I was talking to someone inside the business about this kid um, last night or night before. Was that last night? It was last night. I think it was last night, but yeah. It was really fucking late. It was either – yeah, it was last night. I read it this and morning it, if it makes you feel like, or whatever. So, yeah, it was – So, la- last night, and it's like I'm talking about this guy, and I didn't see Will Ospreay as a 17-year-old, but I saw Will Ospreay, you know, 18 months into his career or whatever. And this kid is ahead of where Will Ospreay was <laughs> at the same stage of their careers. And I don't even think it's close because Will Ospreay at that stage of his career was just a flippy-doo backyarder. Out there, doing his spots, not selling a thing. Um, his first big feud was against Matt Seidel in this promotion, and if you go watch those matches, it's like he didn't sell anything. It was you know he's just do, doing his spots. Yeah, this kid, and that was a few, and that was like three, four years into his career. This kid is like, for all intent and purpose, a rookie, and is so far advanced of where Osprey was at the same stage of their careers. He is scary good at this stage. I mean, he has a chance. He has a chance to be great. I mean, I, I, he does. I, as good as he is already. And uh, this match was just exactly what it should have been. Um, I went notebook on this. I don't see how you can. I mean, it's everything you want out of this oh, match. Oh, easy, easy for for me. Easy. And the easy work was phenomenal. And the fact that this Newman kid can keep up with a guy like Ospreay is something else. I mean, I, I have my eye on him. And I've been spreading the word to anyone who will listen inside of wrestling that this is a guy that you need to have your long-term eye on if you're being responsible about running a professional wrestling. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm I mean, call, I'm I'm in his DMs and asking, "Hey, pal, what's your number just in case we need it?" Yeah, that that, that needs to happen today. If yeah, you're a company. I mean, you got to pay attention to this kid and not let him slip through the cracks. Um, the women's tag. I, I did want to say real quick on on, on, the, on the Newman uh, Osprey match. One thing I wanted to point out to you, another thing, kind of a callback to an old uh, flagship thing that we talked about. But uh, the first thing I, I love the structure of the match too, and that's another reason is that it wasn't Will Osprey getting taken to his absolute limit by Newman. What happened is Newman got a little bit of an advantage, hit the os cutter. Will Osprey kicked out and said, "Oh no, fuck that, dude!" And then when he did that, was said, "All right, I was having fun. We were playing, you know, doing this. Now you're done. You fucking." Stormbreaker, you know, this hidden blade, boom, boom, boom. Now you're done. One, two, three, not a bunch of kickouts. When he wanted to finish it, he finished it. Once Newman it went a little too far and started to kind of maybe get Will a little bit on his on, on the heels, he said, okay, no, I'm, I'm the teacher. You're the student. I'm going to beat you now. So I love the structure of that. It didn't need a bunch of fucking kickouts. It didn't need to be 25 minutes long. It just needed to be eight minutes. Very well told story. And the thing that I, I actually found this out last week and, and, and um, I wanted to bring it up again this week is I went to Cal Newman's uh, Twitter page, just kind of look at you know a little bit of what, what he was doing or whatever, and it speaks to something that you talked about many, many, many years ago on the flagship, is the hidden, the hidden gem, the hidden market for future pro wrestlers is gymnastics, right? Yep. This guy says, this is a tweet from a few uh, weeks or so ago, uh, he says, I learned all my, stu- uh, my, all my flippy stuff with Reset Lab Fitness, they are the best. Reset Lab Fitness is an adult gymnastics class. It's like a gym that does adult gymnastics classes uh, in East London. They specialize in tumbling, acrobatics, strength, and conditioning. So it's such a great base, and it's not about the flippy dudes. It's about the body control. Yeah, because uh, and by the way, dude's it's, got an incredible body already. At whatever age he is, it, it, it's it's about the body control. 
that all the gymnasts have in the core strength. Yeah, core strength, balance, uh, explosiveness, being able to jump off your, you know, just create that height, you know, no matter what you do. It's it, it, it's everything. It just teaches you all that stuff. Yeah, people people think that we want to see a bunch of gymnasts flying around and, and, and you know, they're all 110 pounds doing flippy-doos. That's it, not what we're saying, though. But, like, gymnasts have incredible, I mean... Anybody that actually knows real gymnasts or knows real male gymnasts or whatever, if, if a female gymnast to the same extent, knows that they're not these skinny little, you know, flippy. Di- they're fucking built like shit. They are brick shit. Yeah, go go talk to a gymnast. Go talk to a college yeah. gymnast. Go talk to a male or female. They're fuck. They'll beat your ass because they're way stronger than you can even fathom because they can do shit that's like almost inc- like your body shouldn't be able to do. They jump higher, faster, quicker. They flip quick. I mean, it's just incredible what gymnast bodies can do and what they can do athletic wise. So that's why we say that like, it's a great base for a pro wrestler because a lot of the stuff that you do in pro wrestling outside the flippy will all, res- you know, being a gymnast is, 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 you know, it teaches you strength and conditioning. It teaches you, you know, uh, upper body strength. It teaches you core strength. As you said, it teaches you, you know, explosiveness off your legs. It's just, yeah, the amount of stuff that you can learn from doing it is, 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 is incredible. So yeah, I think people get this wrong idea of what gymnasts actually look like and actually are because no, they're fucking monsters. It's the perfect base for pro wrestling. You know, you gotta be super, athletic core strength balance all that um but yeah he's got he's got a big future and it was a great pro wrestling match they went out there and told a great story around flippy dudes yeah and, and, you know and 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 when you have that it's and and, and you know it's just yeah it was it was a great match and then we had the uh and the and osprey's uh promo you know where like you said he talked about all his future opponents that he has lined up um the women's tag B. Priestley and Jamie Hader came out as, uh, you know, Oedo Tai, you know, the stardom gimmick yeah. against Aaliyah James and Giselle Shaw, which was set up on the previous show. And the heels won it here. And now B. Priestley, because she pinned Giselle Shaw, is demanding a title shot. So, again, we're setting things up. We're setting things up. This was a good match marred by a bad finish. B. Priestley blew the finish. Um, and it looked like shit. But outside of that, I thought it was wrestled with good intensity. Aaliyah James is kind of catching up to the other three, I yeah, think. Yeah, she she was definitely a step she, behind at the beginning of the match, but you could tell yeah. as the thing was going on, she kind of caught pace, and, and 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 you could see the building blocks there. She's still super young as well. I forget how young uh, she uh, she's is. She's in there but... with three really good wrestlers. Yeah, so, right, right, right. I mean, and, and I don't even love B Priestley. I think she's a little sloppy at times. Um, I think uh, the other two are, are uh, maybe a bit – well, well, Hater is for sure. I think Hater is, is phenomenal. But, um, yeah, this was good. It's just that it had the bad finish, which kind of marred it. They had a good idea with the finish because what the idea was going to be is that Aaliyah James would get, you know, um, taken out of the match, you know, and, and, and then Giselle Shaw would take a pinfall. Not because she, you know, isn't a deserving, you know, she this, the assumption is that she probably could have won had James been there. But the fact that she was two on one, she just got overwhelmed by Bea Priestley and, and, and Hater, uh, And that's how she lost, which is a great way to build up for the future. title. Again, it's not that hard. Wrestling is so easy. But now we have a future title. It would be a Priestley going for uh, Giselle Shaw's title. So, yeah. And then we had our uh, main event, which was the unification match with uh, the Rev Pro Cruiserweight title and the uh, the Speed King title that Ricky Knight Jr. came in with. And like you said, it was uh, uh, the big uh, turn at the end. Well, I don't even know if it's necessarily a turn. It's the seeds for a turn because Connor Mills throws Ricky Knight Jr. off the top rope. The referee doesn't see it. 
And then Oku hits the frog splash to win. I think the idea is he's going heel. But... Right, right. Which actually, I, I want to point out. I, I didn't mean to say heel turn off the you know off the bat at the beginning when I, when I was talking about this. But yeah, you know, I love this sort of style of of of, of telling the story. If you're going to use interference, use it this way. And I think this is the way that this, this sort of heel turn people have gotten away from. This this I remember when I first started watching wrestling was a lot of the heel turns. And when I go back and watch old school wrestling, a lot of the heel turns are the guy that's going to turn heel. Something just kind of happens, and he takes advantage of it, and he's just kind of like, "Hey, look, I, I, I didn't know. I have no idea, you know." And then it, it, it leads in many different directions. You know, Oku could get pissed that Ricky Nigerian thinks he's cheating, and he could be like, "Look, dude, I didn't have anything to do with it. You know, I just, I saw you down, and I pinned you, and I won. Like that, that's all I look to do." Or, you know, you can use that to become the heel turn, where he says, "Yeah, no, I knew he did it, and I, you know, I, I did it because I wanted to beat you." Like, there's so many different directions you can go with this sort of thing. But, but essentially, what happened was Ricky Nigerian gets to the top rope. Uh, Connor Mills, who came down with Oku, tosses him off while the referee was was you know distracted or, or, or doing something with Oku. And Oku gets up and just sees Ricky Knight Jr. on the ground and just goes, okay, well, then just goes for the frog splash. And after the match, you know, Ricky Knight Jr. is like, well, what the fuck, dude? Why'd you cheat? And Oku's like, look, dude, I don't know. I saw you down. I hit the frog splash. I won. You lost. Get over it. And and I love that because you can go in different directions there. You can go with, with Ricky Knight Jr., you know, becoming the hated heel by getting really pissed that Oku took these advantages. You can have Oku turning. There's so many different directions you can go, and I love this sort of storytelling because now we have immediately he's not a turn. Immediately Oku's not smiling, cackling, and laughing because I'm so evil, I'm such a heel type stuff. He's oblivious right now, and now the, the intrigue is what happens in the coming weeks and months with Oku. Does he go full heel, or is this just something that, that they use as a catalyst for another story? So I, I love that aspect of it. Yeah, so Ricky Knight Jr. is another one. I mean, he's a kid. I mean, he might still be a teenager, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he is, he's, a, he's great too. Oh, he, I, mean, I thought, I, okay, not, not to, not to be mean to anybody. I thought he blew away Oku in this match. Oh, okay. No, you're not wrong. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with Oku. He, more than almost anyone in wrestling, loses a ton with the, with the no fans. Because Michael Oku's biggest strength as a wrestler is crowd connection. Yes. He's got that rare thing. Where he just has this incredible crowd connection, the thing you can't teach, okay? And that, without that, he loses something. He is not like he has some ways to go as a worker. Like there, there are things about his work where he is not particularly uh, refined as a worker. No, he was real sloppy in this match. He blew up about two minutes in and had to recover mm-hmm. almost the entire match as well. Uh, Ricky Knight really had to kind of lead him through the rest of the match. And and Ricky Knight, they kept talking about how his cardio was so good. <laughs> it's like, it was fine. Like, it was good. But yeah, Oku blew up and just couldn't get back on track after that. You know, they, they start off with a really hot sequence and Oku was, was, was sucking air the rest of the time. And, and I get it. It's quarantine, you know, with COVID or whatnot. I get it. But um, it's just, yeah, it really affected the match because he, he blew up and he could not get back on track. This is the second or third time I've seen Oku in a singles match with someone I would consider a peer. Same experience level. Even though he's older than you think. He's like mid-20s, I think. Yeah, but- uh, Ricky Knight Jr. is 20 on the dot, by the way, in case you're wondering. So, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, actually, you know, it's good we got all these fucking assholes out of the Brit Rest scene. We got some good youngsters coming up here, you know? God, some of the people on the show. I mean, they're so good. But um, this is the second or third time I've seen him in a match with people I would call his peers and from an experience level where the other wrestler was clearly better than him from a mechanical standpoint. I thought Ricky Knight Jr. blew him away. Yes, in this match. he was fantastic. Sounds like you agree. And I saw him have a match against Scotty Davis last year. Another guy who's like, like 18 or 19 or whatever, same experience level, same thing. Davis just was clearly the better wrestler. 
but Oku has the crowd connection that these guys don't have yet. Right, right, right. And, and I don't mean and, to dog Oku at all. I think he's got a solid prospect for sure. Oh, he's a great prospect. Yeah. Listen, you know, he's a must-book guy in that scene. You know, it's like – because there's an undeniable crowd connection there. And he's – don't get me wrong. He's pretty good. But it, it, his weaknesses become glaring when he – look, you're talking about guys like, you know, RKJ and Scotty Davis and – these guys are like prodigies. So, but, but, you know, so he's in the, you're comparing him to like guys that are like fucking great, but, but it is what it is, you know, but it's like, I I don't think he's completely outclassed though. You know, it's not like he doesn't belong in the same ring, but he was clearly not the worker in this match that RKJ was. RKJ is one of the fasting rising stars this year. I mean, pre COVID, he was starting to break out in rev pro. You know, he had that great match against, um, shit. I got my notebook right in front of me in, uh, what was that match in? I could probably, I'm at, I'm at his cage match if you need. So do you no, remember, no, no, do you I, remember I, the date? It was Robbie X in February. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. yeah. It was the, the February show, which was also a great show. It had the Willow Spray, Zack Sabre Jr. Match, which was, I knew. Oh, high stakes. High stakes is the name of the show for people that are, that are curious. Yeah. So. Oku wrestled Phantasmo on that show. And that was a great match. And that's where Oku won the title. Remember? And I think that's where Oku won the Cruiserweight title. And Ricky uh, Knight that is, Jr. Yeah, that, that, that is indeed where he won it. Yeah. And there was a Ricky Knight Jr. versus Robbie X match where I was like, this Ricky Knight Jr., um, I need to pay more attention to him. And, you know, so he, he was coming along even before COVID. But, you know, I, I, you know I, I, I enjoyed this match too, even though I agree with you. It was pretty obvious that Oku was a uh, slight, slight step behind him. But, um, yeah, they, they botched a few things here and there, but I think ultimately the story and, and the match itself – Recovered from that a lot. I, I was way into it in the final few minutes and, and, and didn't care that, you know, there was a few slip-ups at the beginning or whatever. So that, that it didn't matter in the end. I'm kind of disappointed they didn't um, tell us what's coming up on, on whatever's next. I assume they taped more than just these two. Last time they set up the card for this show, this time they didn't do that. So I don't know if they've announced anything on Twitter or whatnot. But I am all in on Ref Pro right now. Yeah. These two shows, I've just reinvigorated – uh, indie wrestling for me. I mean, I, I'm just I'm 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 so into this. So uh, uh, hopefully they can stay on a roll and 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 keep this going. Now, if you don't want to pay the ten bucks for them, I was told that they do show up on the Ref Pro streaming service. But the the first show showed up in two days. This show hasn't shown up yet, so you just don't know when they're going to pop up. And the streaming service, I think, is only like $7.49 a month or something I like think, that. yeah, somewhere around there. I forget it's, exactly, but yeah. So it's actually a little cheaper than just buying these shows a la carte, but, um, you know, either way. But, uh, man, a hell of a fucking show. This is easily one of the best shows of the COVID era worldwide. Yeah, oh, for sure. Opinion. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to watch the rest of the match if, if matches if I can. But, yeah, the final three matches stood out, you know, head and shoulders above a lot of the other and stuff. I, and I'm telling you. A lot of the other crap best- I've been watching lately, so. And I'm telling you, you didn't even see the best match. Yeah, which is nuts. This Haskins <laughs> match, it's it's so good. It's so good. But all three of the matches you didn't see are worth a watch. Nice, yeah, yeah. It's 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 awesome to watch. So we went we went a half an hour with just Rev Pro UK, and I'm not upset about it. So we're right up against it. Uh, real quick thoughts, or do you, do you want to skip United Wrestling Network? Talk about it next week, or is it even worth talking about? Yeah, we can do it in oh. two minutes. It's it's fine. Yeah. Allegedly, it was a disaster live with the stream dropping out and everything. I watched it on demand, and it, it was fine. There was a couple jump cuts where it was like, okay, this is where the stream conked out. Um, but 
look, it, it was good, solid wrestling. Right. I'm not paying $8 a week for this, but it's solid. But <laughs> this is not anything I would pay for. It was good, solid wrestling. Um, I felt bad for Aldis and Bennett. You could tell they were a little shook by the shitty um, circumstances of the show. Well, it looked like they were running out of time, too, because everything, everything after, like, you know, the, the time limit draw with the Tribe and the Wolf Hades, which I think went long, and I think they did a shoot time limit draw on that. I couldn't tell, but kind of no, no, seemed no, that what way. I think, no, what I think happened was they were running out of time and just rang the bell on Well, them. that's what I'm saying. I think it was a shoot time limit draw where they were just like, all right, guys, you got to get out of here. And then, like, Dickinson comes in, and he beats a guy in two seconds. And then Joseph and, and, like, everything else from that point forward seemed like it was rushed like crazy once those two guys were in the ring and, and they ran out of time. So, yeah, the timing was, was a mess. The, the production was a little bit of a mess, so... The only match that was terrible was Dan Joseph and Levi Shapiro. That's stunk. Oh, God. Um, the, the main event, though, I thought they worked hard and they had a physical match and they did what they could in the time that they had. And I, I really felt bad for them because um, those guys are both pros and they deserve better. Um, and, and all this cut a promo, a post-match promo, and you know how great of a promo he is. And his promo stunk because he was shook. You could tell that he was shook. And he was stuttering over his words and it wasn't a good promo, and that's a guy who cuts good promos in his sleep. Um, so it just turned out to be a mess, and it's a horrible way to come out of the gate. It's a it's a business model that cannot work anyway. It cannot work. And they're going to need more star power to even have a chance. I liked how they pushed Dickinson. He came out and cut a promo and, and was a heel and was saying, you know, and then he came out and beat the guy up before the match and then beat him in a short squash. Um, so I like the way they're presenting Dickinson, but you know, the rest of it was just a mix of West coast indie guys and some guys you've seen on new Japan strong, like Jordan Clearwater. Yeah. Uh, will all day who lost to Clearwater. I, I, I was given a little tip. He is a Booker T guy. He was a running back at rice. Uh, so division one running back okay. trained by Booker T good fundamentals. And my Texas people tell me that he is worth keeping an eye on. Okay. So, and he looked okay. Yeah, I mean, he, he, didn't... he looked fine. Yeah, EJ Sparks, I liked him a lot in the opener with Hammerstone. Um, yeah, all day looked good. Like, I think he's a little. He cut the promo, and it's like he kind of he kind of sounds like a trainee. You know, he's like it's Will. All you know what I mean? Like day one heel promo yeah. stuff. Yeah, as like, a young wrestler, you exactly. Know? You got you got to take your lumps, you know, and and, and learn. They're, they're, so. they're not all gonna be Ben Carter and Callum Newman. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's you know. So you got and and to be fair, we haven't heard those guys cut promos. That's true. So, um, you know, from that perspective, send them. <laughs> Baby Rich, I'm telling you. Oh, man. Um, oh, unbelievable. I lost my train of thought. That's fine. Again, well, one, one thing I was going to say about this show, and I, I referenced it a little bit when I talked about the Ring of Honor thing, is one of the weird things, and I want to see, I, I do want to see how this kind of progresses if we watch Primetime Live moving forward. Um, yeah, those free codes come in, you know, <laughs> I'm paying $8 for this a week. But um, one thing I am noticing about the show that was a little weird to me is it felt like the continuation of championship wrestling from Hollywood with a few other names in there. Like you have all the announcers championship wrestling from Hollywood. A lot of the, the, the commentators are talking like we know who the tribe and the Wolf's 80s are. And all the, oh, the tribe and the Wolf's 80s feud. And oh, this is, you know, this person that was in, you know, and we've seen her and we've seen him and we know what he is. And I'm like, no, we don't. This is, this is supposedly United Wrestling Network primetime live number one. I don't know who EJ Sparks is. I don't know who Will Alday right. is. I know nothing about the Tribe and the Wolves 80s. Like, tell me. Show me. Don't just say, oh, we saw, you know, oh, man, the Tribe and the Wolves 80s. They've had a feud for It's like, it felt like the, like, your, 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 you know, your town 
got a network tape of, uh, you, you, you know, World Class is now showing in your town. And you're like, what the fuck? And then you just get a tape. And it's just like, all right, we've seen this. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Like, I think they, and more importantly, needed to tell these stories. And Dickinson, they did. Dickinson was established right off the bat. Here's what this guy is. Here's his motivations. Here's what he's pissed off about. Here you go. All this and Mike Bennett, I think they did a good job with it. But again, it was like, you know who these guys are. You know their stories. You know why they're here type stuff. And I don't think they did a good job with a lot of the other people on the roster. They didn't tell the stories. And it felt like if you weren't watching Championship Wrestling from Hollywood or you didn't watch the NWA, you would have no idea. This is a brand new company. This is night one, technically, of, of this company. I thought they did a pretty poor job of kind of getting you ready and and, and getting you, you know, experience and, and, and knowledgeable to all these guys. So, I think it's also, it's like, it's NWA, it's Hollywood, it's Championship Wrestling from Arizona. Because, like, the Tribe Tag Team are from Championship Wrestling from Arizona. And it's just it's like this conglomeration of guys from different, that's why it's United Wrestling Network. It's yeah. like a collection of all three, or there may even be more promotions involved. And you're right, they assume you know who they are. I don't know. On one hand, I don't think you should talk down to the viewer and you should let them catch up. On the other hand, you're right, though, because these are not well-known commodities. household names. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, and it's like, did you recognize the Hawaiian Lion? That's the guy from All Japan like 13 years ago who uh, – you may not have been watching All Japan at that time, no. But um, he had an All Japan run like in 2006 <laughs> or seven, where he teamed with Taiyo Ta- Kia – who also obviously is from Hawaii. So that was the kind of the connection there. And he used to be ripped, like, like shredded. Oh, well, he's definitely not that now, I'll tell you that. So. Yeah. And, you know, my boy, bad, you know, a bad dude, Tito, was in that match. Yeah. Look, all these matches were pretty good. They were they fine. Said. Yeah, everything was fine on the show. I, and, and and to your point, like, it's not that – it's not necessarily that I want them to talk down to you, but I, the, the idea was, like, it felt like a continuation of another show. But here's the other thing. Why do I care about any of this? Right, exactly. That's what it comes down to. Like, we just talked about ROH. They made you care about it. Why do I care? What's, you know, and, and, and some, you know, they gave some guys some promo time, to be fair. You know, but it's like, for the most part, what do you think of, of uh, Camille and her new physique? Um, it's I, I liked her better when, with her old physique for sure, which she had in NWA for sure. That once she's done with competition, I think it'll probably go back to that. But the, the, dude, the competi- competition bodybuilding is just so fucking weird. I, I can't even begin to. Just, you know, I, I, I deal with it at my job, and it's just it's very strange. I don't get it whatsoever, and I think their bodies are very very strange when, when they're in that. So yeah, I don't know. She's okay. She's got some tools. I mean, NWA does good things with her. Yeah, no, I no, think. for sure. Bringing her along slowly. She's got some tools. There's something there with her. I didn't like Heather Monroe's really cringy manager. I really wasn't into that. Um, it's it's like you always describe Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. It's half yes. like, you know, decent prospects and then like the shindiest dude you've ever imagined in your world. Just like day one heel manager bullshit. You know, day one baby face stuff. Like just what you would see at your your local indie for sure. Don't knock my man Howdy Price though. <laughs> he was going to find you. He didn't sing his song, though. Well, if you got no money, don't say howdy. If you got no honeys, don't say howdy. If you got no... I don't remember how the rest goes. Howdy, hey! That's a little throwback to the old TV reviews, Rich. <laughs> howdy Price. Only the OGs will remember that. Howdy Price song. Yeah, that was, those were dark days when you had to cover Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, but place ended that is absolutely all right that is it for the voice wrestling flagship podcast as we mentioned patreon.com slash voice of wrestling g1 reviews 
N1 reviews, Champion Carnival reviews, Retro G1s, all that stuff going on. Q&As throughout the rest of the month as well. Tons of stuff going on there at patreon.com slash Wrestling. Also voicedwrestling.com for all of our G1 previews, reviews, all the other stuff. As we mentioned, John Carroll, incredible, incredible preview up at voicedwrestling.com. So definitely if you want to get ready for the G1, that is the place to go. And for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Creech. We'll talk to you guys next time on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care.